a vintage championship breakdown on episode 16 of So Many Insane Plays. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of So Many Insane Plays. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hi folks. We're live and on location at Vintage Championships at Gen Con 2012, and we're joined by special guests... Paul Mastriano. Brian DeMars. We've got a lot of coverage for you of the Vintage Championship here. We've got a Team Mean Deck roundup of the event, we've got a Top 8 analysis, and we've got a special interview with new Vintage Champion Mark Lenigra. So let's t- kick it off with a roundup of how we came into this event as a team, individually and collectively, and talk about what decks we played and how we did. How's that? So we really planned the metagame and viewed the metagame pretty well, I think, collectively. The metagame going into this event was heavy on shops. We knew that there was going to be a little bit of an appearance from new upstart Rug Delver. We were talking a lot about blue decks in general, of course, always to be expected. Landstill, though, had done particularly well in the weeks leading up to the event winning two major events beforehand. And we always know that Dredge is omnipresent. The real trick is is how much Dredge is there going to be, how much Workshop is there going to be. And I think we had a general feel for things, but it's my expectation that we didn't plan enough for Dredge, I think, in the main event in terms of quantity. There was a lot of Dredge. Yeah. So I think we should just go around the table and talk about what we chose to play and why. And I volunteered to start because I think I did pretty awfully. (laughs) I chose to play Land still. And partially because it was a deck I had been testing and playing in a tournament a number of times. It was the one I felt the most comfortable with during our testing leading up to the event, and especially the night before after the prelims had gone down. I just decided that nothing that we came up with seemed like a better answer to the metagame, and I figured it was best for me to play a deck I was comfortable with. Plus, Landstill was relatively proven in recent events. The list I played, though, is different than usual because instead of playing a deck more like Petuchik's list that had been winning out in the Northeast especially, and the one that Chris Bakula won with, I opted to add additional draw power by adding Gush to the deck. The reason I did that was because, not because I wanted the Gush power initially, it was because I wanted to play Fast Bond and land still. I wanted to play Fast Bond with my Crucible of Worlds to be able to get accelerate, acceleration against workshops in a non-Moxon kind of sense, and I also wanted to get some occasional blowouts against basically every archetype by having Crucible Fast Bond Wasteland. Gush was a natural fit after that, and it turns out it works out pretty well for the deck, but it's a little experimental and didn't do so hot. So I went 2-2 two and two pretty quickly, t- taking my second loss from one Richard Lessman, and for those of you who follow the show, you might recognize his name from past episodes because he is a German player who is famous for playing Dredge and has top-aided at the Bazaar of Moxen, in addition to a few other large European events. Quite a skilled Dredge player. We had a competitive match. It was very odd in Game 2, and that gave me my second loss. Any questions about the deck that I chose to play? Because I know you guys may not have made that choice going into the event. Mm, I don't know. Landstill, I think, was powerful enough, but it's the only true control deck in the metagame and therefore hard to win a big event with, even though I thought we called the meta pretty well. And sadly, it has a very bad game against Dredge, and you have to fight that entirely out of the sideboard. And even with the sideboard, it's pretty tough. It is very tough. That's I played why. Landstill in a couple 
tournaments recently, mm-hmm. and I had pretty decent results with it. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, I thought that I was really behind against against Dredge. Mm-hmm. I played against Jake Gans, and he completely schooled me. And I was like, um, these non-black Dredge hate cards are not very good, mm-hmm. especially since you don't have a very good way to win quickly once you get it down. So mm-hmm. you give them infinite time to find answers to your thing. So yeah. they have. You have Wasteland, which helps a little bit. It slows them down in finding their answers and things mm-hmm. like that by stopping the Bizarre Engine. But you'll have just you know, just having Cage down is not enough against them because it takes you so long to win. You have to still play a true control role for that whole match, even after you resolve your hate cards. It's also hard to get factories through when you have Cage because they can still make tokens sometimes. Yeah. It's true. That's why I opted to also play Tabernacle in my sideboard, because I figured if I have to fight their mana base and keep them slowed, Tabernacle is a natural fit. Then they can't keep any guys in play. But still, you have to have two hate cards in order to consistently have them and have them active and protect them in order to really expect a win. I'm pretty sure Pachasek actually lost the tournament. His second loss was to Dredge, and he had eight sideboard cards, Mm -hmm. and they were the good black ones. Yeah. And it's hard still. So he's, he still wasn't able to win that. He, I think he beat it two other times maybe in the day. There was a lot of dredge. That's there. impressive did if you, he went 2-1 against you seriously, dredge. Despite that, did you seriously consider Landstill? Yeah, definitely. Landstill was actually my default deck if I didn't come up with anything better. Yeah. So why don't you guys talk about what you, what you chose to play and why? Yeah, by all means. Uh, I, I and also Brian chose to play the Rug Delver deck. Fairly similar to Mike Solomonsky's list. Uh, I think that I originally... my plan was that I had a, a Gristlebrand Oath deck with Show and Tell, which I thought was pretty good, but I played it in the prelims and I just didn't get the results that I wanted, so I was open for suggestions as to what, <laughs> what to do after that. <clears throat> so we were testing a lot of decks, and the the Rug deck was one of the decks we were testing against looking for things to beat it, and I think that you and you too, Brian, we ultimately like felt that the we were trying to beat the Rug deck, and it was like, this deck is so good. It was very hard to build... Um decks that could be good against the the decks that wound up being tier one which were the the workshop decks and the the dredge decks and also good against like what i now think would be like the tier 1.5 decks which are landstill and rug like the the types of decks that are good against one tend to be not as good against the other so Mm -hmm. we wound up testing spending our last minute testing working against the 1.5 decks which led us in the direction of choosing delver as opposed to Maybe like a big mana blue deck or, or something like that, which would have wound up being better against the, the workshop decks and the dredge. Which turned out to be a mistake. But. And so you, we were pretty powerfully influenced by Mike's performance in the prelim, which he won with Rug Delver, and that really caused us to at least evaluate that deck in a more serious fashion. I think all of us were collectively not really impressed with that deck going well, there was, it was There was two in, in the top four. And I think there might have been three in the top eight of that prelim. Yeah. The morning prelim. Yeah. The, the morning performed prelim. very well in that particular <clears throat> event. So it was definitely on the radar. Yeah. And it was also, I mean, we're putting together decks. I started to get good with the rug deck. I, I felt very confident with it. So I, I did all right with it. I finished 15th. I went 6-2 in eight rounds. Talk about your performance. But um, I, had, I struggled against mental missteps in the two rounds I lost. The, the rug deck has a lot of cards in the one casting class slot, and mm-hmm. people that have a one or two mental missteps followed up by a Snapcaster Mage, very difficult to beat, very efficient removal, and just kind of shut down your Ancestral, shut down a Delver. And it's tough to get to recover from that. 
What were your losses to? I lost to it was a snap control deck, mm -hmm. and the second loss was to Oath. And Oath was pretty close. I mean, I think he was definitely Oath is definitely favored in game one against the rug deck for sure. Mm -hmm. And the sideboard helped a lot. It, it came up for me pretty well in the second game with the the cages and there was a, a couple nature claims. Mm -hmm. And the third game, the third game, he just had the nuts. So. So wasn't much I could do about it. There was not a rug deck in the top eight, but my observation of the top tables near the last round or two of the tournament was that there were lots of rug players that were in contention or maybe on the bubble. I think that there were as many as three other, uh, sorry, three rug players in the top sixteen. Did you guys observe that that rug was in contention? <clears throat> right I think near that the there end? was three or maybe even four Jimmy in the McCarthy. top sixteen. Jimmy yeah. McCarthy, Mike, and myself. Yeah. So I believe that if a couple of cards had gone a different way, we might have had one or two rug Delver decks in this top eight. Who knows how it would have gone from there. So, Steve, what did you opt to play how's, then? How's that Brian finish talking about his performance? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> the rub-ins, huh? <laughs> uh, I wound up with a uh, lackluster 0-4 record, but I did win a game in my, uh, in my fourth round, so I didn't go winless in games. Um, I played against all big mana blue decks, uh, two Strix control decks, and like two just over-the-top Turbo Tezzeret-style blue decks, and that is basically the worst possible matchup for Rug. Um, just could not beat their cards. They just played very powerful cards and uh, just couldn't contain it with uh, the sort of incremental advantages you're trying to force with Rug. Um, trying to battle uh, Talarian Academy tapping for four mana with mental, or not mental, stuff. Cluster Storm is pretty much uh, a nightmare. Yeah, that's a good point. So, well, Brian, you're originally on Bant. I, I was originally on Bant and um, couldn't beat Rug with it, which wasn't. My assumption was that Bant would beat Rug, but I, so, I guess I underestimated how good Delver of Secrets actually was in that matchup. So we wound up audibling from Bant to Rug at the at the last minute. But I don't. I don't think that Bant would have been. Um, too much better than than rug in the against like the big mana blue decks either. So, but with my pairings, I probably would have had a similarly poor performance. Delver of Secret surprisingly a really good card though. The the three two flying guy was really good against a lot of the format. Just, yeah, I would do my favorite play with the rug deck is if you have like maybe two unflipped Delvers out, which happened fairly decently, was to throw out Mystical Tutor and get Time Walk. Mm. And then the Time Walk would be on top of your deck, and you flip it and turn over both Delvers, hit for six, Time Walk, hit for yeah. six again, and you have four Lightning Bolts in your deck, I and mean, pretty much That's at game. that point the game was over. That's a ten life swing, that play. Yeah. From two to twelve damage. Just like yeah. so much damage. And people really... Did not see that coming, and would see my my two one one Delvers, and you know, be like, "Well, there's no way I'm going to be dead next turn." <laughs> I'm at fifteen, and then you're like, "Swing for six, swing for six, bolt you," and they're like, "What happened? Uh -huh. What happened here? What? Where did this game go?" And that's one of the best things about that in that particular deck is, is just the explosiveness. It's very unexpected. I consider that Rug will be a valid part of the metagame for some time to come. And who knows, maybe future creature printings will increase its power even more. We'll have to just watch. I mean, you can metagame that deck in very interesting ways with things like Trigon, with things like Ooze, with things like Lava Mancer, and obviously hundreds more. But there are many options for it to fight divergent metagames, too. It is a powerful deck. It's 
a vintage beatdown deck. It's, yeah. it's kind of cool that we we have that in the format now, and I I think that it it will shape things going forward. My favorite part about Rug Delver being in the metagame is that it continues to reinforce vintage, growing closer to legacy. I think that is only a good thing for the format. Even if it is not the best deck in the format, having an attractive option for legacy players that's something they're familiar with, comfortable with, they can build on. I won't say a budget since it still does play Lotus Ancestral Time Walk, but and dual lands and dual lands with <laughs> blue in them. <laughs> but the point is, from a tactical standpoint, it is very close to its legacy counterpart, and therefore I think very attractive to people who can just borrow power and maybe buy into the format in the later. Especially in those European events where they attract all those legacy players for like a day one legacy event, and I know a lot of those guys. I've heard from people that play in Europe that a lot of them. We'll just port their legacy deck over for the next day, you know, with whatever power or whatever they can get together. And exactly. They wouldn't need very much to turn a legacy rug deck into a very competitive vintage deck. If players like that can compete, <clears throat> it's only a good thing for vintage. I agree. So, Steve, then, sorry, let me back up and say again, what did you opt for and how did it go? I played uh, Cobra Gush, and from a design perspective, I was operating from two parallel tracks. My initial thought coming into this tournament was I wanted to play Doomsday. And I thought Doomsday as a strategy was probably the strongest, like most powerful strategy. The problem was I couldn't beat workshops with it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, how can I design a Doomsday deck that can beat workshops? And my thought was the Lotus Cobra. You know, it's not that no one has thought of that before, but I didn't think they had implemented it very effectively. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if anybody tried it before lab after Laboratory Maniac was made very much. One person had in the Philippines. Yeah, they were messaging me about it. So I thought if I could build the Doomsday deck with Lotus Cobra, I should be good against the Workshop decks, or at least at least have some game. Mm -hmm. And then I just think that that deck, you know, with the density of Counter Magic and the threat, Josh but Bucker Bucker won the second prelim with my Doomsday deck. Mm -hmm. um, but as I was working on it and testing it, it just wasn't working very well. It was clunky, and I had a conversation with you, Kevin, and you said. And I came to a number of realizations in the in designing that deck, which I'll talk. I can talk about it. You know, we we had conversations about it. Mm -hmm. But I think the key thing was at some point you said it sounds like you've got some really good ideas and you've come to some interesting counterintuitive conclusions, but it seems like Doomsday is the weak spot. <laughs> so I stripped the Doomsdays out. This is the first track. Stripped the Doomsdays out. Went to four Js. You know, obviously you have Necro, mm -hmm. and that was the Cobra deck. It was attractive to me because it, I think it's the strongest gush deck in a mm -hmm. workshop metagame, Cobra, obviously. Mm -hmm. The second track, though, was sort of pursuing the Baleful Strix deck, the big mana blue deck that I played a few months before and won the Team Serious Open with. I wasn't, sh I, I didn't really want three Strix, maybe one, maybe zero, <laughs> but I think the whole idea of that deck, of big mana, broken stuff, was what I wanted to do. The way I conceptualized the metagame is basically, and from a, in terms of blue, a, a polarity. You have these poles. On the one pole is UR Delver, hyper aggro control. Mm -hmm. The other pole is hyper control of Landstill. And the other two corners of the metagame are Dredge and Workshop. So you have to be able to position yourself to beat all four corners. And the deck that does that best, I think, wins. Mm -hmm. Or at least most effectively. I felt that UR Delver and Landstill were insufficiently effective at two of those poles. You know, not that UR Delver can't be chopped, but you can't. It's absolutely essential that you can win on the draw game three against a turn one lodestone roll. You cannot do that consistently. That's a disqualifier, in mm -hmm. my view, from playing a particular deck. So, for example, with the Cobra deck, an entire plane ride here, 
all I did was goldfish, pretending different configurations of sequences. So turn one golem, turn two thorn, turn three tangle wire, or turn one golem, turn two tangle wire, turn three cold out the fourth master. You can't defeat that, at least you know with some regularity. That in my view, don't even show up. Mm -hmm. So I was torn between both of those decks. I thought that the blue control deck would be particularly effective, but the Cobra deck was very good, you know, as well. And the mm -hmm. Cobra deck, you know, four Jays, turn one Cobra, turn two Jays, you know, turn three, you can pretty much win. And the victory conditions are Time Ball Key and Tinker for Blightsteel. The counterintuitive thing that I come to was that I felt that the metagame, there was, there's, there's two basic approaches. One is... You're trying to win sort of attrition over time. Another is you want to resolve a big bomb. And with like the deck we played last year, sometimes it was sort of like you're getting through attrition over time. Mm -hmm. Whereas the decks that I was designing this time, you just want to resolve one big bomb. And so I made the counterintuitive leap of stripping out mental missteps entirely, also stripping out preordains, and really reducing my reliance on one casting cost spells and going to max flusterstorm. Because I thought, okay, turn one Cobra, turn two Jace. If you go Moxland Cobra, turn two Fetchland Jace with one mana floating, Flusher Storm protects. It's a, basically a hard counter. What's the best way to protect a Necropotence or a Jace? Mm -hmm. Force of Will. Mm -hmm. What's the next best? Probably Flusher Storm. Mm -hmm. So if I'm playing a big bomb, and so both my the the blue control deck, and I was also very inspired by Brian's suggestion of Mana Vault, because Mana Vault, one of the things that Brian was saying over and over again, I totally agreed with is that you want four J's. Mm -hmm. you know, and so both the Cobra deck and the Big Blue Control deck have four J's. I think, you know, we can get to this later, but if there's one thing I don't like about the winning deck list, it doesn't have enough J's. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean it's perfect. But, right. the, but the point is that I think that's where I wanted to be positioned. But the trick was, how do you beat Workshops and how do you beat um, the other blue decks? And I felt the Cobra deck was best positioned to do that because you have Cobras for Workshops plus insane sideboard options. I have plenty of stuff for Dredge. And I have huge bombs that I can protect and go broken against Landstill. And I an outrace Delph. Mm -hmm. So I thought the Cobra deck was very well positioned, as was the Big Blue deck. But in testing the night before, the Big Blue deck was not consistently beating Delver. And my testing with Cobra had suggested it was. Mm -hmm. So I played the Cobra deck. And I also made top eight in the prelims, which incentivized me to play the Cobra deck again. I made two bad tweaks to it the night before. I think made it slightly worse. I won't get into it, so we'll talk about my report. Well, tell us about your results then. Uh, I went, I had, I started out 1-1-1. One, one, one. One, one, one. Yeah, <laughs> and then I, I lost to Landstill in game three, he had turn one Jace, mm. and I lost to Blaine Christensen who got second in round two when he had turn one Lodestone Golem in both games. Mm -hmm. Well, it and seems like... After going 3-0 against Shops the night before. Mm -hmm. It seems like collectively we didn't have a very good showing, despite the fact that I feel like we predicted the metagame pretty well, but you can't predict who you're going to get paired up to at any point early in the Swiss. I, for example, played against Noble Fish in rounds one and two, despite having done a heck of a lot of preparation against many other decks. <laughs> and ironically, I went three and two games against Noble Fish, but two of those losses were in the same round, so there's, there's a dagger right there. But... At this point, I feel like we should talk about the top eight of the event, sure. and we can go from there in terms of analyzing how Mark made his run to the championship.
Let's begin our analysis of the top eight then by just talking about the collective archetypes. There were four workshop decks of varying builds, two dredge decks, one Bomberman, and one Bob Jace deck. Let's cover them from the bottom up in terms of their final place. In eighth place then, the semi-final opponent of eventual champion, Mark, was Kevin on Dredge, and his list has a lot of interesting features in that it doesn't look like a lot of current Dredge lists, say, that have main deck in Ingot Chewer times four. Kevin has access to a lot of interesting, say, one-ofs, and a couple of interesting four-ofs post-sideboard. For example, in his main, he has a single probe and a well, single street break. Well, the first thing to note is there's no Dread Return. Right, he has no Dread Return. His disruption package in the main consists of Leyline of the Void. The Therapy is. Therapy. Dark Blast. Yeah, four Dark Blast is very different. I'm not that, seeing that. That's very interesting. He has one Ingot Chewer in his main deck. Got a Miser's Probe. Yep. Yeah, he has one a probe, probe and a Street Wraith. And one Mental Misstep in his side in his main deck to go with the other three in his sideboard. So he has a very interesting distribution of main deck threats. You said and he has answers. Leyline of the Void main deck? Yes. Four? Wow. Four of them. Which I think is very good for Dredge in this day and age, especially in this There was particular. a lot of Dredge there. Right. You need that to win the Mirror Game 1. I mean, it's one option. The other is Dredge returning Elishnorn in Game 1, or just racing. But I think main deck Leyline of the Void should be a staple in Dredge in this moment. It's especially good to always be able to win the Mirror absolutely. with whatever deck you're playing. That's huge. It's absolutely good. And also, Leyline is no slouch against a bunch of other archetypes. Right, it's not bad. Right. It also keeps your Bridge from Belows from ever going away. So because if you have a creature die, it doesn't hit the yard. So it helps you against any deck that's capable of putting out an early creature, even something like Landstill, which can kill their own factories. Right. When you have four Dark Blasts, you may be aggressively blasting people's creatures, and having Ley Lines is going to keep your bridges exactly. intact. So I think that's some pretty good synergy. I'm surprised he doesn't have Unmasked to go with all those black spells. But I guess he chose for the other individual disruption. By, by having four Dark Blasts, he has a very high number of Dredgers. Yes, right. that's a very good point. He's a little more consistent in that regard in the early turns. Does he have Gugari Thug at all, though? He has two Thugs. Yes. Two Thugs, okay. On top of four. That's pretty cool. A lot of ways to kill Jailer also, which is pretty sweet. That's yeah. true. He is much more likely to draw into a natural Dark Blast in games three and, two and three, I mean, against Jailer. I mean, the bottom line about these dredge decks is that you can include things like four light lines of the void and things like that because they're so consistent anyway. They get yeah. that plan off, and you have some room to play with some of the other cards if you include the prerequisite number of dredgers, mm -hmm. the Icarids, the Narc Amoebas. You're going to get there. And the first, the game one is so easy to win against a lot of decks. Why shouldn't you beat Dredge Mirror? Yeah. You know, why shouldn't you have stuff for that? What is the mental, explains the mental <clears throat> misstep exactly. I guess for all those main board cages we saw. I don't mm. think it's bad. It, mm. And it mm. gets splash damage against other broken effects like turn one vamp for my one spell bomb or the spell bomb itself or just Ancestral Recall. He can fight simple brokenness with that. He's much more loaded up to defeating Ixla Jailer. He has a fire, one Firestorm in the sideboard in addition to four main deck Dark Blasts. But he also has... Um, he only has three Chain three, of Vapor. Don't they usually run four? Yeah, and he only has three Ingot Chewers. So there's one in the main. One in the main, yeah. So, okay, so, so he, he goes up to four Chewers or yeah. four Misstep. And he only has one Wisp Mare. So he's... He's really loaded up against Jailer. It's a very different distribution of yeah. answers. What do you guys make of the one probe, one street wraith? I guess the street wraith is for more guys to sack to Icarid? That's my guess, yeah. Also, you can just get a 
a semi-time walk effect with the Street Wraith. I mean, when that card was initially spoiled, people thought that that was the next coming for, for, Dredge. for Dredge because it allowed you to be so much faster. Obviously, that didn't pan out in the long run, but I think one of them there, maybe it gives you a leg up in the mirror, just seems, that much more it gas. It seems like that split is just wrong. You'd want two of one or two of the other. That's what I was getting at, is no, why I, would yeah. you go one and one? I was thinking like I'd want two probes so I would have better therapies, but... I don't know, maybe maybe there was a consistency thing there, trying to get those Icarids out? I'm not sure. It's probably very hard to, to, to figure out which is the two of, Yeah, because you'd have to have an inordinate number of games <laughs> tested to figure out which is better. Well, I don't necessarily think it's wrong to have to have one in one, because one has more upside in one situation, one has more upside in the other one. Right. So, well, one, in, one situation should predominate, though. It should be a majority. That's the not necessarily true. Probe and makes you also, weaker if against you shops. Drop, if you drop both, it's better that you have one of each than it is they have two of the same one because then you get you get double value because you get to see their hand and put a creature if you feel like you just want to have a certain number of black creatures in your deck too yeah. I'm not sure if they maybe there's some math behind that there could be That's, that makes but sense he has two thugs as well right? yeah and four blood gas and four Icarid right yeah yeah. So in a why field, wouldn't you have any four of those two cards? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, but that's a lot of, a lot of black. No, we didn't comment on the fact he doesn't have Dread Return yet either, which is the, well, the that, new thing in Europe coming out of the Bizarre Moxon list. Yeah, it's a little, it's a pretty divisive topic at this point. It seems like if you want Dread Return to be explosive, just for the purpose of being explosive, say getting the Flamekin Zealot kill, then the Probe and Street Wraith serve that function a little bit. As I said, they get you ahead by half a turn, maybe. And so they counteract some of the explosiveness you lose by not having Dread Return. I don't know. I felt like in the games I played against Dredge that if they had had Dread Return, I would have lost the two rounds I played against Dredge. Interesting. But then you have to cut. I was beating them by one turn. I yeah. think that it, there's a... I mean, you can take that... Take that uh, Gataxian Probe out of there and that Street Wraith. Maybe <laughs> one of the Dark Blasts and one other card. I mean... Take your pick. Five field, or the gemstone mine. The gemstone mine. I don't know. I mean, I, you can get four cards. If you want to get the, the four cards in there, you can get them in there. I really have to agree with you. I found that you know it used to be that like a turn one tinker might not even win the game against Dredge. Right. Pretty much guarantees win if they don't have. I mean, if they're playing the Dreadless Return version. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I played against that deck, I just kept watching their yard going. All right, no Dread Return. All right, no Dread Return. And then I started to realize Dread Return was never coming. And I'm like, this is great. I get another turn to, to do this. It's only like they have time walk. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's how you get the, the slots for all these good utility yeah. cards, too, is you don't play the Dread Return, then you don't have to play the, the Flamekin Zealot and the, all those other cards that are actually just straight bricks. So. Yeah. And you can, you can side those cards out probably a lot of times. But I think, I don't know, maybe... But you only have 75 slots. Maybe you just win game one a lot of times anyway. I don't know. I won a game one against Dredge, and it's not something that happened ever before with the old version. Dredge Return maybe is somewhere in between win really efficiently and win more. Like, <laughs> win efficiently 1.5, I don't know. It certainly doesn't help you beat sideboard cards. That's definitely true. Well, and a lot of people board out their Dread Returns after Cyborg anyway. Yeah, it's a very a, common yeah, tactic. Exactly. You, so really, you're talking about mostly a Game 1 tactic. Game 1 thing. And it seems like a lot of upside for Game 1. The 7th place deck is a study in contrast. So, sadly, our other dredge deck didn't make it out of the semis either. This list is much more 
uniform and much more like the recent top performing lists in Europe with four main deck Leyline in the Void and four main deck Ingot Chewers. Not nearly, in fact, there are no singletons in this list. Two Dark Blasts in the main to go with three Thugs and three Icarids. Everything else is a four of. And then in the sideboard, we've got Wismares times three, times three, Unmask times four, four Chains and four Nature's Claim. A much more typical sideboard, very uniform, with just the usual suspects to bring in. Really not a lot of answers to Jailer. Just two, in that sideboard. Two just, Dark Blasts. Oh, and a Chain of Vapors. Just a Chain of Vapors. That's one of the observations that I came to. I was looking at uh, dredge lists across the world on Morphling.D. I observed that there were fewer and fewer answers to Jailer in most lists. Mm -hmm. Basically, two Dark Blast main and four Chains, and that was pretty much it. Fire, Firestorm had disappeared. Contagion is nowhere to be found. That's why I thought Jailer is right now the best dredge answer. I think if they're going to load up on Ingatures, especially main deck, to go with Nature's Claims and with Smares, right. you, you have to punish them somehow. The other thing is that all of the answers to Jailer are stopped by Mental Misstep or Flusterstorm. Right. That's not the case with the rest of the answers. Right, so if you're running a big blue deck that has mm -hmm. Mental Missteps and Flusterstorms already, then yes. Jailer is your go-to card. Exactly. Here's the big problem, though. <laughs> with this sideboard, if they suspect Jailer, they can bring the four unmasks in, and at two mana, there's a very good chance you'll be unmasked and lose the Jailer before you'll be able to play it. And that's how they want to fight And that's you. probably how they, they are planning to beat Jailer here. With that and Therapy. Yeah, because they can easily cut those Ingot Chewers probably against a lot of the decks for game two that have Jailer. But again, as Steve just observed, Unmask and Therapy are both counteracted by Mental Misstep and Flusterstorm. Yeah. So you can still prevent exactly. that if you've already loaded up on those counter spells. Right. When them it say not Unmask, though. It, it is a risk, though. I, I, my conclusion still remains, I believe Jailer is by far the best answer right now. If, you, if all you do is line up answers mm -hmm. to threats. Given that you can't rely on only Jailer, though, yeah. your other choices will influence how effective their plan against Jailer is, too. Because if you're fighting... If you use Jailer and Leyline, for example, that forces them to fight you yeah. across all levels. They have to bring in their anti-enchantment stuff to fight the Leyline, and they have to bring in their anti-creature stuff or fight that aggressively... Spreading them out in their right, multiple types of permanence is yeah. good. It also takes up two. I mean, to unmask is two cards out of their hand. They often will post board. Dredge players will almost always lead with bizarre, even if they think you have an answer. Mm -hmm. Just because, uh, you know, unless you have a leyline in play, they'll almost always lead with bizarre. And good, in good dredge players will then lead with therapy. Mm -hmm. And they're not. If you have a leyline in play, they're not going to therapy you for jailer. You know, they'll, they'll therapy you for Force of Will or Fluster Storm or something like that. And also, we shouldn't discount the fact that it allows you, in that scenario, when you're relying on Jailer, it allows you to simply fight them with Force of Will. Something yeah. that you don't typically You can also do deliver the beatdown with Jailer, which is... I've killed many dredge players by beating them up with Jailers. That's a good point. It puts them on you a You actually clock. get to finish them with it. Mm -hmm. So it plays double duty in that respect. The other problem with not killing it and just trying to unmask it is that you can't beat the top of their deck exactly. to draw it. Oh, you know, that's a good you point. And I played Imperial Seal in my deck. That's so a good that point. Was, they they can was... unmask your Imperial Seal, but yeah. the point is, like, you <laughs> no, just yeah. top deck a Jailer on turn two, right. and it's like, oh, well, I what I mean, is, like, if I go turn <laughs> one, I go turn one Imperial Seal, and their unmask is completely irrelevant. Having at least one Jailer to tutor for is probably a good idea. Yeah, it's I one of agree. the best ones to tutor up. I would agree. Our sixth place finisher then is Michael Scheffenecker with Martello Shops, basically. His list is a couple cards different from things we've seen typically out in the Northeast recently, though. He eschewed the fourth well, Forge what Master. What is Martello Shops? Well, would you characterize the control, aggro, combo? I would, well, I, 
It's somewhere it's between aggro and control. Right. It's it's right there in the middle in terms of shop decks because it has a pretty good beatdown plan if you get Forge Master online. It has Revokers and Metamorphs, but Coldulta Forge Master is really the title card yes. for that deck yes. because it's a tutor, Tinker. It allows you to play some situational cards like Duplicant, Steel Hellkite, and Sundering Titan in Michael's list, for example. He also added Crucible of Worlds to the main deck, which is not standard for this type of deck, and that helps you awful lot in the Landstill and Workshop matchups. So basically a tutor target, although he does have two more in the board. Forge Master actually gives them some cool like play options where you're actually able to do things on other people's turn in response, which yeah. is not a normal shop deck kind of thing. And allows you to... You could bring tailor. up Metamorph and things like that to beat legendary creatures. There's all mm -hmm. kind of little tricks that you can throw at people that aren't completely familiar with your deck. And it's it's not normal for shops to be able to do those kind of things. And also it allows we, you to we play... Saw the, the the play that he could have made in the in the game where he lost. That's the right. Top, so, the top eight where he, he had a play with uh, so we were with observing, Master. We were observing the, the top the eight play. Recall. And Michael Guthrow was playing Bomberman. Yeah. And Michael Guthrow put Hercules Recall on the stack. Importantly, when? Uh, it was during Michael's main phase. During Michael's main which phase. Which is... Un Michael had exactly three artifacts in play. He had a Mox, a... He had a Wasteland. He had a Wasteland. He had a Mox, Emerald, a Forge, Forge Master. And he, one other thing, another Mox, maybe. He wasted... No, oh, Duplicant. It was a Duplicant. Oh, he had a two, two it, was, duplicant, it was a small which Duplicant. Had, which had hit... Had, had exiled a uh, Dark Confidant. Yes, that's right, Bob. So he had three artifacts in play. He could have responded by activating the Forge Master, sacrificing all his things to put Trinisphere in play. And the reason that matters is because Michael Gothro's board was Mox, Sapphire, and a, and a, and a Fetchland. Or no, a Duel uh, Land. Uh, the the reason he Hercules main phase was because he got he got Wastelanded. Oh, he was... So oh, he had to float the mana. So he would have been able to return... The, the, he would return the Trinisphere to his hand, replayed it, oh. and the next turn he drew Revoker. He would have been able to revoke the Sapphire, and Michael Gothrow would have been out of the game for yeah. the rest of the game. So the Done. Wasteland had already yeah. happened. He was down to just a, a Mox. Yep. And... And the next turn, the Mox would have been gone off the okay. Revoker, and he would have won the game with Revoker. But that, so that is a good example of the sort of trick you can pull exactly. with Forge Master. Just be very situational and put the game away. Really, I think Forge, I think Forge Master is very good and very scary because you have to deal with it. You must kill it that immediately. turn. Immediately, yeah. yeah. If you don't, you probably lose. You just watch like, all your lands well get destroyed or worse. <laughs> yeah, Sunday Titan is a disaster for blue decks. I actually agree with the split on Metamorphs and Revokers. I would play the fourth Metamorph before I played the. The Forge Master. I, I like that it gives you it gives you more draws to your best possible draw, yeah. mm -hmm. which is Lodestone into another Lodestone, essentially. Mm -hmm. The, the real awkward would, thing would, with Metamorph, though, is if they counter one of your early threats, is a lot of times there's not a great thing to Metamorph, and sometimes you'll have these hands, and I've had them in testing, where they counter your first two things, or they counter something and then destroy it, like in a postborn game, and then you're sitting there with those like two Metamorphs in your hand, garbage. and there's not anything you can really do with them except for maybe make a Mox or like something that yeah. wouldn't be very good. I, I agree with that. The problem with the fourth Forge Master is if you have two in your opening hand, you right. know, it's a very hard play. So both of those yeah. cards have the same issue. You just do not want to get a bunch of them because they don't allow you to actually execute your primary plans of disrupting your opponent and, and quickly beating them down. Right. The, the difference that, that I think is that the Metamorph gives you more draws to the nuts, whereas yeah. more Cold Off the Forge Master gives you more draws to the middle. Yeah. So right. I, well, right. I think Metamorph is also another card that you're often looking for as an out to a number of situations. Too. Exactly. Tinker. So it's a good thing to be drawing out like you're against, against Tinker, against a Trigon Predator. Right. Yeah. I saw the, the guy copied Kataki to kill it. Kataki. Right. Any legendary creature. Yeah. A very good play. Uh, and also good Bombs. Point. 
Yeah, exactly. You can copy Bobs to either get incremental card advantage if that's what you really need, or just combat their Bobs. Or at least, yeah, at least stave the bleeding off. A couple right. months ago, someone copied my Baleful Strix. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> What's value? Oh, and Goblin Walders. <laughs> oh, yeah. In a Welder metagame, you can copy them. Although too. it's really kind of weird when you do Goblin Walder because your yours is an guy's artifact. an artifact. Yeah, yeah, that's awkward. But still, sometimes it's the right thing to do. Copying Tanglewire, obviously, is like the best ever. <laughs> more time on I think the more interesting part about Michael's list is the sideboard here. He's got four cages. Two tabernacles, very interesting. Two crucibles, so he can go up to three after board. Two more duplicates. He's got the fourth forge master in the board, and then situational things: razor main masticor, precursor golem, worm coil engine, mirror battle sphere. Precursor golem is one of the best things you can do in the mirror. Yeah, shot it's mirror. One of the very few ways you can actually get permanent advantage. Right. right. Well, his list has a lot of things to help combat the mirror. He also has. I mean, look yeah. the, the last three: precursor golem, worm coil engine, and mirror battle sphere yep. all do what you yep. just said, yep. as well as the ways. two crucible worlds. And right. He, he accelerates one or the other undoubtedly. Right. Just so great because we all know a thing to do in the mirror is try to get a lot of those spheres out of there right? Yeah. and get in threats. All those spheres. <laughs> and be so, aggro. Michael must have been very disappointed in a, in a top eight with three other shop decks. He got paired with the Bomberman. With this sideboard, he got paired against Bomberman, who had Kataki. Uh, that's just what it's, yeah, it's a pretty bad pairing. I think Michael might have had a pretty good matchup against other shop decks. The only worst pairing is the... First, is the, the, the shop deck in second place was right. very aggro, though. Right. The winner. Yeah. Which might have been that's tough true. for him to beat. Finishing in fifth place, we have Greg Krager, who was playing another workshop deck. And this one sort of defies traditional, or at least current, labels. It's not Martello, it's not Espresso. It's actually closest almost to Cat Stacks. This is workshop aggro. Because he has four Slash Panthers, four Metamorphs, four Lodestones, three Revokers, and... Sitting there innocuously further down the list, one sculpting steel, which is frequently going to be a creature. So this is a very aggressive deck with five copying effects. No, but notice he also has three graft diggers cage right. main deck. Right. So main deck cage is very very interesting. He's fighting dredge and oath with that. Right. He doesn't too. slow down the game a lot for Tinker. And right. Snapcaster. Right. He has so many clones for Tinker. But he has five clones, so Tinker he really doesn't. He really <laughs> Tinker's not resolving against this deck. Right. It's got to just be for for oath and dredge. Also interesting is his mana base, which includes right. he four mischief factories. He has game one against dredge. The ports. Because three the, ports. He has three ports in his mana base in addition to four factories. He's bringing so he has a, back. a slower but more a disruptive mana base. But also. only three ancient tombs. Right, so he's slower, but he's more disruptive. I'm not sure how I feel about three ancient tombs. Yeah, I, I guess know. he has those four slash panthers. Eat his life. Wait, up. How is he slower? And he, he has all those. He, he doesn't have a fourth ancient. He has tomb. a lot of Phyrexian mana, and he has no city of traders. So against other workshop decks, he's just not as quite as fast as they are. He has mana crypt. He has right. eight Phyrexian mana cards, so he might not want the damage from ancient tomb. Let's look at his sideboard, and he has. First on the list, my favorite card in this whole top eight, one city in a bottle. <laughs> which, for those of you who don't know, which is probably a lot of you, city in a bottle is a card that hoses specifically cards from Arabian Nights. When it comes into play, it destroys all cards from the expansion Arabian Nights. I think it exiles also, them, right? Maybe. And also prevents any future cards from the expansion Arabian Nights from being played. From being played, from not being cast, played, not played. Played, which is very important because that card not only destroys Bazaar of Baghdad, but prevents any further ones from coming into play. It also happens to have splash damage against Arabian Nights Cities in a Brass, Cities of Brass, and Arabian Nights Mountains. Yeah, throw away your pimp cards. <laughs> <laughs> so, for, for those of you who are, let's say, choosy about which version of a card you play, 
you might consider the tactical advantage of not playing with your Arabian Nights cities or mountains. <laughs> anyway, further on in his sideboard then, we have one snow-covered island, which is very suspicious, and he sold, said to me directly that it's for Ghost Quarter. He was hedging Smart. against Ghost Quarter. He also brings it in in the workshop mirror just to have one more mana source, which can't hurt. Well, he has three ancient tombs only, so maybe he really wants to save life on those... Uh those metamorphs as well. That's a good point. I remember some people in, saying in with the Slash Panther that Mana Crypt was very deadly. Yeah, he has, he has so a, lot of, a lot of Phyrexian damage. Yeah. yeah. He, but uh, he, I think it's very interesting that he has four mental misstep in his sideboard. Yeah. Which A lot of Phyrexian damage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be Dry Your Island. It, which, is, which, is here, which is here a super tempo card. And he probably brings it against Delver. It'd be yeah. really funny if someone ghost quartered him onto that island, and then he's like, and now I cast all of my Phyrexian blue mana for free. <laughs> very, very interesting <laughs> stuff. He, well done. So when is he going to bring in that mental misstep against decks with Goblin Welder? He's going to bring it in against, blue. certainly against Dredge. Yeah, definitely against Dredge. So he's going to bring it in against... Uh, noble fish probably to fight mm-hmm. hierarch and path to exile so, and plow. So post board against strategy has three, four graph diggers cage, four metal misstep, one and city in a one bottle. One city in a bottle. Yeah, <laughs> not bad, not bad. So to round out his sideboard, he also has four triskelion, and in his top eight in the semis against Blaine, the eventual second place player. He definitely brought in his snow-covered island, four precursor golems, and four trikes. At least, I think he brought in all four of those. It makes sense, too. Boarding out various sphere effects like you would want to do in a workshop mirror. Thorn of Amethyst, not so good in the mirror. Exactly. And <laughs> I remember seeing specifically in <laughs> those game... Those digger cages got to come out. Right. In game three of the final game... I'm sorry, of their match... Blaine, sadly, yeah, for well, Greg's well, case, case we'll be good against Forge Masters. Yeah. I was thinking that actually. Well, Blaine had she didn't have. multiple worm coil engines in play to Greg's the Triskelions. Yeah, Greg's multiple Triskelions. Worm coil is better by far. So that's part of the reason why Blaine won. Is worm coil engine is just far superior to most things you can play in the workshop mirror, especially in a sideboard. I don't. I don't like playing four. Of a card like like Triskelion. if it's a very specific card for a specific matchup, like four Leyline of the Void makes sense to me. But four I, Trikes, I feel like if you had like a split, like it's a, a six, it's a six drop, yeah. like especially split it up, like have a duplicate to Worm Coil and two Trikes, especially in a list with five copy effects. <coughs> yeah, because the first Trike you yes. draw, you almost always are going to have a way to copy it yeah. if you really want to. Yeah, uh, it seems odd. He must be really hedging against creature decks. Against well, the, uh, he has Jace. no other answer. It, it helps Jace. He has plenty of answers for Trigon Predator, so it's not like he needs that for that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And he does have three Revokers. I'm so surprised it's not like he doesn't have a Steel Hellkite. Jace is not a major problem. I would play Steel Hellkite, but maybe he just feels like, well, I'm good against Oath because I have Grafter's Cage. I wouldn't feel so confident in that. Yeah. I would not be confident that I'd be able to get six mana reliably in the second time, especially with only three Ancient Tombs, no City of Trainers. Very. I would. I would not be confident that I'd to play any six mana cards, honestly. Well, the simple fact is, is he took Blaine to three games, and I believe Blaine had better sideboard well, cards Well, our listeners don't know who Blaine is yet, so let's keep him there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there. In fourth place, with Bomberman, is Michael Guthrow. Michael, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Apologize if I'm not. But Bomberman is a deck that's, I think, been a little bit divisive. It's been making consistently good performances out in the Northeast, but a lot of players look at it and disrespect it. Paul, what's your view on Bomberman? Yeah. I'm not a big fan of Bomberman. I don't really get it. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's doing really well. I just don't like the I don't like the salvager combo. Although, I mean, he was telling me I talked to Michael a little bit about his deck, and 
he was telling me that cavernous souls was really really good for him all day and that that was one of the things that had really turned around the Bomberman deck for him was playing the two caverns he would be able to play most of his cards with it I think naming human was it was while it's done human and, uh, or wizard yeah the mind sensor is a wizard <clears throat> does he have mind sensor uh, no no oh. he's, he's Bomberman yeah, oh. he's which, which, which also I works think, on wizard yeah, which I think is a, <clears throat> a better deck overall, this one with Dark Confidant. I mean, I'm, I can get behind Dark Confidant, and I'm feeling that. There's a good counter package. Did he... Um, <clears throat> he has four force, three drain, two metal misstep, and two fluster storm. Yeah, yeah, pretty strong counter package. And he only has two salvagers, so I, I like this list a little bit better. You, uh, you kind of get rid of a lot of the whole... You have all these redundant cards, and you're, you're just trying to draw a little bit more and find your combo, put it together. Also... A lot of Bombermans are typically only blue-white. This one is blue-white-black. Obviously, we mentioned Bob already. He also has Demonic Tutor and Yawgmoth's Will, and he can spice up with Nile <coughs> Spellbomb as well. Yeah, I can see what he's saying, though. I mean, if you start out on turn two with an uncounterable Dark Confidant and you work your way up to an uncounterable Salvager, it sounds like it could be a pretty powerful curve. Yeah. He also has Talarian Academy, which is a powerhouse. Oh, yeah. And I believe he has slightly more artifact than... He actually <coughs> does not have Mox Emerald. Interesting. He also doesn't have Main Deck Cage, which is very common in this deck, but he has Spellbomb instead. I guess he opted that he thought the Spellbomb was a better card for I mean, the overall He has metagame. the black. Right, so he can get the extra value out of get it if he wants. Get the extra card. You know. It's also part of the combo. <laughs> that, oh, that's a very good point. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. That, that doubles up then... It draws you a million cards. Oh, he doesn't have the blue Spellbomb, of course. Right, because he is the better Thank one. you, Brian, for... Clearing that up. So this uh, in, lost in, in the regular blue-white version, they typically have cage to fight. Mm -hmm. As you know, they also have the blue spell bomb, the aether spell oh, sorry, bomb, aether, yeah. to bounce a creature. But that's how oh, they execute their combo. It gives right. you it gives you a draw engine once you get comboing yeah. it of infinite it, mana. So with the black, you can make deck, infinite spell bomb. You get the dredge hate and the combo kill in one card. That's very awesome. I haven't seen that before, and I don't know why more players haven't gone that route. Not because more on. people aren't playing the black version. Yeah, this black version is not typical. Black version seems way better. I think. I think this better. was essential to his win. I would put, I think I put a lot of emphasis on Dark Confidant mm -hmm. because Dark Confidant simply one of the best. It's only two mana. It's the best early creature you can possibly play against workshops. You have and a really what, low curve. It does. Game. And what's the best? What, <coughs> what's half the top eight workshop? Right. What's the best creature you can play against? Either either Bob or Lotus Cobra, and he has four Bob, so he's pretty good. That's another criticism of Bomberman. The number one criticism I usually hear of Bomberman is that it has no draw engine. Well, he does. Yeah, this, Absolutely this is the better Bomberman list for sure. I can get behind this kind of list. And in his sideboard then, let's see, he has three Jailer, two Energy Flux, two Kataki, which was very key, one Hercules, one Pithing Needle, one Planes, one Tormod's Crypt, one Steel Sabotage, two Cage, and, and two Spell Pierce. No, he has oh, one, one, one Spell Pierce, sorry. Looks like a two. So a pretty diverse selection of hate against Dredge, three Jailer, one needle, one crypt, two cage, and he has a nihil spell bomb main deck, and the main deck spell bomb. And don't forget the trinket mages to find them. Absolutely, Bomberman's a pretty good deck against dredge. You have game in game one. He you has have a combo kill to get it done after you have some sideboard cards going on, and you have a tutor package that's built into the deck to help you find your answers. He has multiple combo kills, actually, I'll not just the title, <coughs> but also key vault. I'll offer this observation now in case I forget it later, but it seems to me the common characteristic between all the blue decks is their very strong matchups against dredge and shops. 
Well, the, I mean, the blue decks in the top eight are yep. defined by their strengths against Shops and Dredge. Mm-hmm. You make an interesting point about Time Ball Key being in here because that's not a normal that's feature not, of the other Bomberman lists either. That's also an advancement in his list here. He's adding black, he gets Demonic Tutor out of the deal, which I think... Will help him find the Time Ball, and he has a lot of tutors for Team. Vamp too? Is he also he does not have Vampiric Tutor, though, which is, hmm. now that I see it, a little bit surprising. But I guess he just couldn't justify the room. He only has two Jace as well, so he had to make cuts. I but, mean, you're trying to cram a lot of yeah. a lot of cards into this list. I don't. I'm not so critical of the two Jace in this list though, because he has the four uncounterable confidants, or sometimes uncounterable. He also has Library of Alexandria. So this deck, even without four Jace, has a lot of game against other blue decks. Cavern has, of Souls. He also has Trinket Mage, which is a plus one a card, and yep. with the Bobs and the the Trinket Mages. Yep. Jace isn't as big of a deal because you can actually attack their Jace, whereas yeah. the other decks, if you don't have Bobs and Trinket Mages and Salvagers and all these creatures right. running around. You just sit there and die to the Jays. So. And, and let's not forget, he also has two Snapcaster Mages, too, just for value. He's lots okay. of creatures. So he's yeah. got a lot, it's of, a lot of creatures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put the beat side, he doesn't even need to combo. All right. So let's talk about his sideboard against Workshops, <coughs> where he did pretty well. He has two Energy Flux, two Kataki, one Hercules Recall, a Basic Planes, which I assume comes in, one Steel Sabotage, and he may may be bringing in one spell pierce also depending on his approach although that's not a given so it seems like he's got he smooth, just smooths over some of the kinks when it comes to workshops as well he has two main deck swords to plowshares wow. also yeah I was going to say that's important right yeah. he doesn't run green so he doesn't try not to the red so he doesn't have got sure. so he has big game against shops I think after sideboard too he can just smooth out some of the dead draws puts in lots of variant threats and answers if any of our listeners are trying to figure out how to beat shops without running red or green I think this is the hint as to how to do it. This is mm-hmm. Swords to Plowshares is a good start. Yeah. Swords to Plowshares and Kentucky allows you to buy back a lot of tempo if you can manage to get to two mana. And also, it's important I, to note... I actually don't like Kentucky as a workshop picker. I don't like Energy Flux. I don't like I don't, Energy I don't Flux like more. either of them, actually. Right. I think Kentucky is fine as a, as a way to buy back tempo if you're able to slow them down at all. I mean, you could play... Uncounterable Guys means you can cast them through Chalice of the Void if that comes to be... Also, their thorns are terrible against you. I, if you're a smart workshop player, you board out thorns against a deck like this, I think. Because they have caverns and the guys, so their chalices and thorns become very bad. And also, he has... What does he have? At one mana. He has plow at one mana. He has, like you said, Steve, he's missing mox emerald, so he doesn't have max acceleration. But he does have a ruby, which is... A hedge. I mean, yeah. Mox Ruby is just a hedge in this deck against workshops and being able to play more turn one guys. He's got three drops too. He's got Bob's in Trigger yeah, He has lots of various and he has 17 answers. Lands. Yep. He has, and he brings one in from the other <coughs> sideboard and he has one Steel Sabotage also after sideboard. So lots of diverse answers there. Yeah. I like Ataki a lot more than Energy Flux though. Because mm-hmm. you can at least play that through Thorns. Energy Flux seems like it costs a million mana. Yeah. And then it, they still have the op- opportunity to like keep whatever their best card is around usually. It's important to note he only has two Kataki. It's not like that's his primary plan. It's just one of a number of answers. Although I mean, Kataki's I'm with, okay. I, I'm with you, Paul. I, he has a lot of things to kill it with too. The, energy the shop flux deck. seems very. All odd. those copier guys kill yeah. the Kataki. I don't yeah. know. It's, you know what else is cool about this deck? With the the trinket mages, really gap that bridge between all the good two drops and Jace. Like there's no three drops in vintage for blue decks. You know, right. Tinkering well. Uh, yeah, you know, there's click, but click is not. Yeah, it click, this deck doesn't want to click. It doesn't. You know, this deck wants to draw cards and have more resources. 
So one, I, I like that a lot. Another one of the traditional, you mentioned the expense of energy flux, and I agree with you there. But one of the traditional ex values of this deck versus workshops is the high basic land count. He has three basic islands main with another planes in the sideboard. Only land still really can match that for basic land count after board. He didn't really make any concessions on that with he's adding the third color. He's not going to no. lose to get hosed by Blood Moon. That's right. He added a third color and still managed and to still keep, managed four to keep basics, a lot of basic lands. You know, which is important, I think. In third place, then, we have fan favorite Referino with textbook Martello shops. This is something that he and his friends and family members, I think, have made famous out in the Northeast, and his main deck is almost card for card what has been played recently in recent NEV, excuse me, NEV events. So we're talking about Forge Master Mud again, we're talking about main deck, Lodestone times 4, Revoker and Metamorph times 3, Tutor targets being Duplicant, Sundering Titan, and two Steel Hellkites. And the other deck. Can I, can I first take a moment to, to clarify that the comment fan favorite Rafferino is actually a legitimate compliment to Rafferino and not in any way uh, like underhanded or undermining him. Like I, I think he's a great guy and I think he's a great player. And the comment Rafferino is definitely a fan favorite. I, I, I agree. like an honest fan favorite. This is not irony. Not it, irony. right. <laughs> not irony at all. People like Rafferino. Rafferino is a good guy. Yeah. We so, like to see him. I was trying to pay him a compliment. Man. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that that matter is cleared All up, right, so we, we can actually talk some business. Well, I want to talk about the standout card in his sideboard in my eyes, which is two serrated arrows. Oh, Homeland superstar! That's right. So Homeland has now officially launched its second card in this event. <laughs> <laughs> but serrated arrows, I think, is big game against a lot of cards. It's good against Delver. If you have it in play before Trigon comes into play, for example, you can you, shut out a Trigon. Why don't you tell our listeners what serrated arrows does? Oh, jeez. So for those of you who weren't playing in Homelands or Time Spiral, yeah, serrated arrows is a four mana artifact that comes into play with three counters. You can tap it to remove a counter from serrated arrows to put a minus one minus one counter on target creature. So you can sh shrink a creature by one three times before it's spent, but then it stays in play, which has synergy with Forge Master. Tangle too. Wire as well. Tangle Wire too, good point. So you can blank Goblin Welders, Bobs, Snapcaster Mages, Kataki, Baleful Strix, mm. all kinds of stuff. And like I said, if it's out beforehand, you can also blank Trigon Predators with it. You said Goblin Welder, right? Or yeah, Goblin yeah. Welder, absolutely. And also it's I don't know if he brings it into the mirror. You can kill the Trigon Predator not. <laughs> well, you, you can could kill if it. it's there before they play the Trigon Predator. But sometimes you would only want the two counters oh, because to blank it. It'll take the two off. Yeah, right? I'll yeah. do it now, and I'll do it on my turn. And then it kills it, yeah. And then it won't, it won't it hit prevents, you ever. It'll be a 0-1. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think it has value in the mirror, although I'm not sure if he brings it in. But if you... I mean, there are certain matchups in the mirror. Like, if, you're, if you and your opponent both have say, Steel Hellkites, which is odd, but your, yours wins the battle then if they if they battle. I, I don't know. Those Welders and Confidants, I think, is... Yeah, but that's the real pretty, value right there. Is it's creature it's removal. also significant arrowhead counters. On <laughs> really? Arrows. Yeah, fantastic. Arrowhead counters. Arrowhead counters. <laughs> I'm expecting that those are unique in the game of Magic. <laughs> you know, they are. You know what else it does? It also you gets rid of... for those. It also gets rid of Noble Hierarchs, <laughs> which are awkward from, like, a band There you decks. go. There you go. And it, it will click... It will eventually click, click. Yeah. it will eventually take down a Goyf. Goyfs max out at five six usually. You can kill Delver's secrets before That's they bad turn. That's value though. You're not, oh, but, but if you're bringing it in against in an emergency, fish, but it's yeah. going to be you in can your take out a Kataki. Though. 
Yeah. Kataki. Yeah. My point is, if you're bringing it in, you're bringing it in against Noble Fish and, and Rug. Oh, kills which Bob and Cobra. Once it kills their first uh, Hierarch or Delver, and then they play a Goyf, they're going to use it to shrink that Goyf down to a manageable size. I have a feeling we're going to see some more serrated arrow action coming up. I think you might be onto something. But here's, here's the you thing. You can metamorph it, too. And that's a pretty big game. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> So here, here's the thing that always a little bit mystifies me, is this constant tug-of-war between the number of sphere of resistance that these decks play main deck and mm-hmm. Thorn. Mm-hmm. Now they sort of shift from like four Thorn, from four Thorn and three sphere to four sphere and two Thorn or right. something like that as the metagame shifts back and forth. It's kind of like what Dredge does. It's like it's a very minor hedge for this deck in the grand scheme of things. It continues to move back and forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time I see four Thorn and three sphere... I have a little golf clap in my head. <laughs> You're like, yes. Yes. Ingotures getting in there. <laughs> a little bit of relief. Yeah, that's so one thank of the reasons. You, gentlemen. Thank you. One of the reasons why Ingotures is so omnipresent is these decks loaded up on Thorn a, a while back. And, and it just opens the door to Bob. Right. So you see his Bob's everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and Bomberman, good lord. Bomberman well, has a field day with Thorn and Blood. And, and so it's no surprise that Bob has put the two blue decks in the top eight here if both have four bobs in them. Unfortunately for Raph, though, his semifinal match with eventual champion Mark, who I think was punctuated by some pretty bad draws. Mark told me that Raph went to four in game one, I believe. And then in game two, he kept a very high-risk, high-reward hand that had only two mana in it. I believe it was a Mishra's Factory Mox into Thorn play. Oh, yeah. And sadly for Raph, not only did he not draw a land on turn two, but Mark had Lightning Bolt for his factory on turn three when he went to attack with it. And so game two became a a total blowout. But excellent performance for Raph, of course, and he was the second highest placing workshop deck in this event. And that's hats off to him. I was rooting for him. Yeah. (laughs) And this isn't the first time that Raph's had a good performance with workshops in the vintage championships either, but I think this is his highest finish. Yeah. And in second place, we have Stacks by Blaine Christensen, also known as BC on the Mana Drain and other social fora. What's most interesting is how very different this deck is from the other shops. So different strategically that it is, you know, positioned very differently against the rest of the field. And he has a number of very unusual deck choices. Absolutely. So for those of you who don't appreciate the differences, let's call them out. Normally, okay, so the normal differences for this archetype versus the decks that we've discussed already are things like Smokestack, of which he has three. Main deck Crucible of Worlds, which he has three also. There was only one other list which had one. He also have Karn. I wonder if that means he expected a lot of lands to... Or, or the and workshops, but I yeah. mean, I think that having a lot maybe suggests that he expected a lot of landstone in addition to shop mirrors. But in things like espresso stacks, three crucibles to go with your smoke stacks is pretty standard. Yeah, I you, just, you I can just go, that, you can yeah. go down from there, but still. And he also has Karn, which is not in any of the other workshop lists. That's a hallmark of espresso stacks. That's right, and he also has four, four. Buried Ruin. That's really the most notable thing about this I would list. say so, too. That is very interesting. That helps him out so much in the mirror, and against blue decks, when the game goes long, he can get his best threat back. That's well, really unusual. We saw unusual. him use that to recur Triskelion. To end the game, end in, the game. The, in the semis yeah. against, against Michael Cuthrow. That's right. He, he had a trike in play, attacked for a fair bit of damage, but then he went 3U, Buried and, Ruin, 3U. And we wondered why he made that sequence. Right. Because we were like, why we, did he... Because he copied... He copied... He had a, Lodestone Golem. He copied Lodestone Golem instead yeah. of the Revoker he had in play or his opponent's... Uh, was it a Bob? Was yeah. it Oriox? Yeah. Uh, salvagers. 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 Yeah. 
This so, is sweet. <laughs> like, <laughs> this deck is very good. First of all, he has no he has no factories uh, with the crucibles, but he's got buried ruin plus mm -hmm. crucible, which just gives you regrowth every turn on your best card. That is a hugely powerful that effect that awesome. causes <laughs> other big blue playing opponents to respect your crucibles more. So a lot of big blue players will get out two islands and some mocks and then say, oh, Crucible, they now I'm immune to in, that. Immune, and not someone innocuous. Yeah. And now you have to respect that because, as Brian said, he's, regrowth for free every turn. He can also ramp Smokestack higher if he's inclined. There you no, go. Definitely. There you go. And then get it back. And then get it back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, and that's important. So for players who didn't play with or against Smokestack many years ago, one of the keys to a Smokestack deck was to, if you could, as best you could, Keep your first smokestack low and find another one. Get them down to no permanence, if possible, and keep your a second smokestack online with zero counters on it and just sit there and wait. Whereas a list like this doesn't need to take that approach because when it comes time to do it, he can just get a smokestack back if he wants. If our inflection has not provided the sufficient emphasis, <laughs> let's just underscore this point. Uh -huh. right? Running Noble Buried Ruin is notable in and of itself, but running four is... Right. Incredible. Es espresso stacks and some Martello lists have had one, maybe. Yeah. Maybe two. two yeah, some people have experimented with it, but knock on the full four. This is, this like, is we're a, all yeah. about Buried Ruin right <laughs> yeah, now. This is a major <laughs> note. Saying, he wants this, this in his opening hand. <laughs> do, do espresso stacks decks run the expedition map? Is that distinctive about espresso stacks, Paul? Um, I, I guess maybe in some of the, the later builds they were trying it out. I know Detweiler had experimented with it a little it. bit. He had been using it lately. He was, he was all over the place with different shop variants lately, like trying ones with different colors and things like that as well. I mm. thought that Detweiler was using Expedition Map also just to fix uh, when he was playing builds that had red for welders. Well, I mean, blue. if you have Crucible Worlds and you have Expedition Map, you can dig right for the strip mine. It's Absolutely. pretty big. Things like that. Can someone explain to me why he doesn't have any Sphere of Resistance main deck or even Thorns? He's workshop. Aggro, no, he's, more so he's not prison. Aggro. He's smokestacks. He's prison. <laughs> well, but what do you call has, prison when he only has smokestack and no he, spheres? And we haven't even gotten to the fact that he has another very unusual card choice. Right, the ratchet bomb. Uh, Steve, yeah. I'm with you. That's that's unusual. He has hybridized what you would call espresso and a more aggressive big mana. I would like deck. someone to draw a map because like a he, grid. And then just start pinpointing these shop decks along them. And I don't know what the coordinates or dimensions are of the grid. I'd right. like someone to figure that out. Whether we call it control, aggro, what? Because this this is a prison deck that has no spheres. Right. This deck just like actually attacks your lands. It doesn't lose the spheres. It just it just destroys your. He mana. has more removal than spheres. Yes. He has ratchet bomb. He used those to great effect to hit Moxon. He knocked out my Moxon with them. Well, I mean, he has, there's a recurrable with the ruins. He has main deck Triskelion. Over and over yeah. again. He has main deck Triskelion to the tune of three, and which is unusual. Three, yeah, three, three trikes. Right, so he's just, just controls the board. Like He doesn't make it so you can't play your spells. He just controls the he controls the board and kills it when you play yeah. it. Right. Controls the board for a while, drops Karn and beats your face in real fast. That's <laughs> yeah. what happened. Karn is awesome. This guy attacks Moxes real hard too. Let's talk about his sideboard. Real hard. Yeah. His sideboard then starts with four Grafdigger's Cage and four Tormod's Crypt. So he has lots of gas against, against Dredge, Dredge, but also three Sphere of Resistance in the board, which you have to believe come in against Dredge also. And then it got a combo action. Yeah, combo, sure. Right. He has the fourth Crucible <laughs> in his board, which is incredible. 
crucible. No yeah. one has four crucibles in this day and age. He means it. I and like then it. the coup de gras, which is three worm coil engine. <laughs> and we saw him use those worm coil which engines. Is to great effect. That's the best card. Great against Ingotchur. Great against Trigon Predator. And great in the mirror. Worm coil engine is big game. That is, that is just the the cherry on top of this huge creature deck. So it's very interesting to me also that he is maxing out on expensive creatures in this deck. I, I just still can't believe he has four buried ruin. <laughs> he wants it like every game. Baron Ruin is quality here. I guess you have Smokestack. Yeah, I, I start think recurring that's the big thing. Smokestack. Yeah. He's all about Smokestack. This deck is a Smokestack deck. Isn't but he only ironic? has three. Isn't that ironic? There's that none of the other shop decks, though. especially you know Raph, who is you know the he part of the NY, New York Stack Exchange. Yeah. It's right. not the one running I, the smokestacks. I, <laughs> smokestacks are actually not, they're not for the mirror. You would board them out in the mirror. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So the smokestacks are well, there to fight. You might. Actually, yeah, you he might can not. ramp. You might, he I don't can know. ramp them. You'd probably board out Chalice of the Void. Look at what he's got in his sideboard. He's got three worm coil engines and a crucible. He can it's ramp smokestacks. But he has no spheres to take out. It's not like a regular yeah, shop deck where you want to board true. out spheres. So what's his board? He's going to board out, board out three chalice. He's got five cards. He's got Trinisphere and four chalice. And he wants to bring in crucible and three worm coils. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's so, solid. Yeah. That's, so, I guess he's going to leave in one of those five cards then, right? Leave in a chalice, I guess. Maybe. He might. He might actually bring in cage. He might bring in Trinisphere. He probably. Oh, bring in a cage against Martello. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. that would be better. Yeah. Sure. That would be better. And he's probably going to. He might board out Tangle Wires on the draw. He might board out Tangle Wires on the draw. For what though? Just for more cages. I, I mean, I it, it depends. The, and if the other thing, if the other opponent has Crucible, yeah, yeah. also he might be bringing in Tormod's Crypt, just as an extra permanent and something to slow down their Crucible. Having more permanents in this deck could be relevant. Yeah. The other thing I like that I think is really cool about this deck is that it has more turn one plays that are super high impact than the other shop decks because mm -hmm. it has the three smokestacks. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in my opinion, yes. turn one smokestack is. Almost as good. It, it it can be situationally better in a lot of situations than lodestone. Than lodestone. Agreed. So you like your four mana drop my play. You have seven yes. cards that come yes. down and like just. Well, as you pointed out, not gonna win. off the air, it's better against Ingotchur than lodestone golem. Yeah. Turn yeah. one smokestack. You know, and they you know, they go land go. You go ramp. They can't Ingotchur. <laughs> You know, because they have to if sacrifice. They don't have so, acceleration. They don't or have something an, else. an acceleration. Right. If you go chalice, for example. Yeah. You know. Oh, that's that's very interesting. So if chalice smokestack is better. If they're banking on Moxon and Ingotchur to fight your lodestone, and you go workshop Mox smokestack chalice at zero, they might never play a spell they're legitimately. Done. They're done. The rest I mean, of the game. Yeah, they might. They can only do one permanent. Why can't they Ingotchur? Because if they play a land, you ramp smokestack to one, and they have to sack that one land. On they're Why don't they just Ingotchur your smokestack? No, what he's saying is you, you, you get an opportunity to play another land. But the point yeah. is, yeah, they well, your follow-up follow play at that point, then, is really the thing that nails them, though. Yeah. Whatever it is you play on turn two, now they have to fight Smokestack. They have to spend their Ingot you are on your Smokestack, and now you get a third turn with your turn two play. You oh, already well, disrupted them. you have Lodestone into Smokestack? Two no, I'm saying whatever your follow-up play is. Yeah. You've, he's got all these big-game spells like Trike and Metamorph and Karn that he can follow up that turn one smokestack well, with, and their, your opponent has to respect the smokestack with their ingot chewer. Kevin, two years ago we played workshops, mm -hmm. and one of the decisions we made was four smokestack and four lodestone golem, for mm -hmm. the reason that Brian just mentioned. Yeah. We wanted to maximize the turn one impact. Right. 
So we had a some, we observed Blaine's play, and we thought there were some interesting decisions that he made. Right. In in the semifinals, his opening hand against Michael Guthrow was Mishra's Workshop, Ancient Tomb, Buried Ruin, Buried Ruin. So his three mana, his three lands, Trinisphere, Crucible, Phyrexian Revoker, and Triskelion. And Michael Guthrow was on the play because he was no wait. This was game three. This is game three. Yeah. Michael Guthrow goes Island Sol Ring Time Vault. What would your play be after that? Given that opening hand of shop, tomb, buried ruin, three sphere, crucible, revoker, and trike, what's your play? He is soul ring already, so trinisphere is not very so, good. So he goes island, soul ring, time vault. Yeah. What would your plays be? I guess, I guess we're revokering. Is that what it is? Yeah. You have to revoker basically. You can't so, play so trike. Go, tell me exactly what you do. Which, I would revoker soul. With what? Which land do you play? I thought I play to, shop. What is my inclination yeah, is to so play you, shop? So you guys, you go shop, revoke or soul ring. I might, I might revoke or the. He said he had key or time vault. I might yeah. revoke or time vault. Okay, you go or key because he has soul ring already. Very That's interesting. That's next level right there. Paul Mastery on That's a good you know, Paul. That is incredibly next level because when you think about it, if he's going to have those two cards in play, you don't care if the time vault's active. You only care if the key is active. Does Blaine have Tanglewire? Yes. Okay. He does. So, but the time vault is not terrible against Tanglewire if you expect that to be a play. But yeah. You're right. Time Vault's not so completely might, useless, but the yeah. key is much more I mean, more you're, still valuable. Getting, you're still getting time-locked, though, if you <laughs> skip the thing. I mean, yeah. But there's also the possibility he could, if he has a chalice for one, you know. Eventually, yeah. right. right. Well, the, other, the other thing is that, that if you revoker the Sol Ring, you're going to make your, your Trinisphere actually a good card. Well, let's, let's finish. Ah, let's go through. Interesting. Let's go through. What's your play? I like Workshop Revoker on Sol Ring. I, I, also, I like Workshop Revoker on Sol Ring as well. But that's not what Blaine didn't do. That Blaine played Ancient Tomb for one, yes, and then he played Revoker on Time Vault for yes. two. So he made two interesting choices. Yes. Now the Ancient Tomb, instead of Shop, it's uh, in hindsight I think it seems obvious to all of us. The only reason I can think to play Ancient Tomb there is just for information's sake, to hide the fact that you have Workshop. Maybe your opponent disagree. Maybe your opponent thinks that you don't have workshop because you didn't play it. I think the reason to do it is because you think he might have wastelands. Bomberman sometimes has two wastelands in his trip mine, right? Maybe yeah, possibly. Yeah. So I, think I mean, his his list was a pretty different Bomberman list. So Blaine, for all you know, could have thought yeah. he he might have anything. I think that's oh, the they main don't get reason to see the their opponent's list. No, but this was oh, game I, three. Did he have wastelands? No. No. Okay. But he might have sometimes Bomberman. Played. If you know, he was in the dark, I, I would play the Ancient Tomb because see that's why I asked. I, yeah. if it, yeah, I assume that they got to see their opponent's list. So yeah, I would play the Ancient Tomb on the Revoker. That way, you can follow up with Trinisphere, with the tr- actually play the Trinisphere well, if they wasteland you. I think this is a very interesting question, and I think that th- there there is legitimate reasons to go for the Time Vault, legitimate reasons to go for the Soul Ring. Right. I like the Soul Ring as well, and one of the reasons I like the Soul Ring is because you're going to use the Soul Ring to find the Time Vault. Like if you're going to play the Tutor, or Tinker, or any, yeah, to find the key, you know, or, or play even play the key, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, if they have the key. <laughs> you know, there's a percentage percentage yeah. play. Man, the, Revoker on Soul Ring is is a two mana sphere almost. So yeah. there's a lot of value in that. Uh, opening hand natural key vault is a single digit likelihood. And a low one at that. Man, that's a sucky way to lose them. Yeah. So maybe Blaine was just saying Every this way is, is a sucky way to lose. <laughs> that is a, <laughs> but, but I mean you played the revoker, I named Soul Ring and he just has key. Yeah. That's a pretty terrible and way so to go maybe, down. You're gonna be kicking yourself about that for a long time. Why didn't I think he might have had the thing? Why did I go that way? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was part of his his yeah, rationale. 
Also, I, this is game three, and I don't know if Blaine saw Energy Flux or Kotaki in game two. He if might he have saw one of those, then Ancient Tomb is a much bigger, better play. But if you play Shop, you give yourself a oh, possibility to... You, but if you play Shop instead of Ancient Tomb, you give yourself a chance to play Turn 2 Trike against either of those plays. I think that Turn 2 Trike is not a great value in this context. Against a Bob, I would do it in a heartbeat. No, you would play goes, it. Hold on, If he hold goes on. next turn Bob, he I He would play it against yeah. turn two Bob, granted. But at the same time, if or you're... Or Jace. <laughs> but do you think it's a bigger deal to stop their Soul Ring Look, here, or their impossible Bob? I would stop the Soul Ring also because the Soul Ring allows him to play Jace. No, 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 hold on. Yeah. Do you think it's more important to stop the Soul Ring that's currently in play? the biggest issue. Jace, yeah. yeah. But also turning on the Trinosphere, I think, is a big game. Yeah, it's a really good point. But if he saw Kataki or Energy Flux... In game two, you get so, seriously blown out if you go workshop revoker and they have Kataki. I would just like to offer an aside. So I know we had previously strongly criticized Michael Guthrow for some play mistakes he made a couple years ago in the, in the top four against Bob Marr. A series of play mistakes essentially puns that caused him to lose against Bob Marr, where okay. each juncture he would have beat. But his play in this top eight was actually there were some there were some problems as well. What he did after that position was he played Underground Sea, and he tapped the Sol Ring in the Underground Sea and played Demonic Tutor, and he played Black Lotus and passed the turn. And then uh, Blaine played, I believe, Buried in Ruin next, and I don't remember what he played next. He drew Lodestone Golem. He played oh. Workshop and Trinisphere. And Trinisphere. Yeah. So just, just for clarification, he what, what actually got Revoker? Time the ball. Time Ball. The Time Ball. Yeah, yeah good point. He actually named <laughs> Blaine, Blaine Ancient Ancient Tomb. Revoker on Time Vault. Time Vault. And then Michael Guthrow played Underground C, Tap Soul Ring C, Demonic Tutor. Four Black Lotus. Four, four, well, we don't know. It was four. I saw him do okay, it. He got it was for four Black, Black Lotus. Lotus. So but he, he wouldn't have been going for Black Lotus if right. his Soul Ring was Revoker. Right. But he, he just been played, getting the key. He played the Black the Lotus soon. and passed the turn. He did nothing. And when he played, when Blaine played the Lone Stone Golem, it wasn't like he had Mana Drain in hand mm. because the Lone Stone Golem resolved. And and then Michael Guthrow's next turn, he played Academy and passed. So he did nothing for two turns, essentially. It's important to note, too. Did he have Mana Drain? No. Was he so. thinking he that Lodestone doesn't disrupt my Bomberman combo? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure he didn't have Mana Drain. He would have right, played just, it. I don't know. Make but it it's sure. important to note that Brian's first inclination about playing Trinisphere on turn two, if you Revoker the Soul Ring, then while... Um, while he could have then DT'd for key still and set up the combo. The Trinosphere would have turned it down. The Trinosphere would have turned it down, except now that I think about it, he played Academy on the next turn. Yeah. And so, so he would have won. He would have won if Blaine had named Solring. Name Sol Ring. Like we would have. I still think it's the right play. I, I think In it's this the high, context, you can punish. But the higher percentage play, I agree. Well, Blaine won. Yeah. So. Very interesting. This is one Paul of those would have exercises. Made the play one. <laughs> we would have all lost. Watch the game. <laughs> I would have chosen to win also. I don't, know. <laughs> I, I don't like to lose to someone possibly just having the key. It seems like, you know, he opens up a time vault. Why? You know what, though? Hold on a second. Why did because he keep that hand? Why are, why are we at this juncture? I, 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 I'm sorry. We've got to revise. Hold on. We've got to revise. If Blaine names Sol Ring and says go, and Michael plays C and taps C Island to DT, Blaine drew on his next turn. Oh, tell me it's a wasteland. Chalice. Wait, 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 wait. That's turn three, though. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting that that would have been... 
This is after the Black Lotus play? Yeah, yeah this Black is after the Black Lotus I'm sorry, no, it, it was the next turn. That it would have been the turn after he lost that he drew Chalice. Mm. So that's not a valid answer. But I, I think the, the question, from my perspective, is what was Michael thinking when he DT'd for Black Lotus? What's the rationale? That you DT for Black Lotus a lot he, in that deck because it's how you finish the game? He played Bomberman on, on well, two turns later. Yeah. So he, I, the, he must have had Bomberman had, in his hand. If he did, he would have played it. What else? He had Academy and, and Lotus and played the next turn. He would have played the. Right, the he, could have, he could like win there. Yeah, he could have won the game. Well, not that turn, though. He would have had to but play the Lotus and break mana to win. At least had the. the you need six mana to win? to win? Maybe he was he needed the Lotus for wait, wait, wait. two white. Hold on, hold on. He didn't have white mana. So the lotus was the lotus was the white mana. For so the, he was setting up, sacking lotus okay. to cast Bomberman and get the play. lotus back. You're giving a that's shot what he was setting up. Two turns when you know you're not going to be doing anything for two turns. Hold on, hold on. He had Academy in his hand, so he was giving the shot player one turn. Yeah, but he's not going to be doing anything for two turns. He literally played, did nothing but play Academy. There are several like, plays in Blaine's deck because it's big mana stuff like Smoke's deck that he could make that don't stop the combo. Look, Blaine has. Ratchet bombs, Steve. Steve. The point is not that he has plays. The point is that he has plenty of non-plays also. It was a it was a gambit, right? I mean, and Michael doesn't know what's look, in look at Blaine's hand. deck look either. He has, he has buried ruin and stuff. Look, look at Blaine's, Blaine's hand. Look, Blaine's hand has Crucible, Trinisphere, Trike, and he drew Lodestone Gold. My look, argument is that there's something hold on. better. Of those four cards, Steve. Of those four cards, three of them don't stop the combo. So Revoker uh, stops Black Lotus. That was he already. He already played the Revoker. Steve. Yeah, but he has three in his deck. The point is, there are lots of blanks. There are lots of things that Blaine could have played that on turn two. That's my argument that there's a better card to DT for. That's the. That's fine. Point. I'm point That's is, point. I think this is a valid line. Fair. I don't. I don't, I don't disagree. <laughs> He's setting up a game-winning. Can't takes, play on it, turn three. It requires you to do nothing for two turns. Not no, on turn four. No, no, on turn four. It's not, no, not two turns. One turn. He wins this game on turn three. Then why didn't he play it if, on turn three? Because Blaine played Trinisphere. That's I why. See. If Blaine doesn't play Trinisphere, this game is over on turn what three. What if he plays Tanglewire? Or I mean, it's fine. Yeah. At the point is, there are plenty of blanks like Triskelion or Smokestack or Crucible. I, I There's only I, one Trinisphere. I would never give my opponent. You know, turn with me doing nothing. In, in also, let's not let's actually, not discount the value of having tutored for a Black Lotus when you have Academy in your hand. You know what? Yeah, that's a lot of mana. The now that you're pointing that out, uh, or what you've just pointed out, the Revoker on the on the Time Vault might actually be a better play because you have one card stopping one of their combos, the other card stop, and then you have another card to stop their other combos. The so essentially, yeah. yeah, you have two cards that so answer the combos. So it's a matchup-specific question. Right. Because they have two combos. And you really are hedging against him having something like a Wasteland or anything at, where you can drop that workshop and make sure you definitely get the Trinisphere on two. Well, yeah. Yeah, like they have to kill your stop. Like, you have both of their combos right. answered, so like now they have to fight you fair or come up with a removal. Right, yeah. through, through a Trinisphere. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's, it's a very, it's a very yeah. interesting scenario. Very good point. I think it's valid for that reason. So fans of our scenario segments will have fun listening to this. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I changed my vote. <laughs> I changed my vote. You're so, you're so results-oriented. <laughs> and now we've come to it. Current vintage champion, Mark Lenigra, with his Bob Jace Snapcaster control deck. And this list is just very worthy of discussion, although it is not too far different from standard lists of recent events. He made a couple of tweaks, and it was very good for this metagame. This is well-deserved champion. I think this is the best list. This is, a good <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Close. <laughs> awesome. 
very well conceived for a lot of reasons we've already discussed. Obviously, Bob is fantastic in the current metagame. Yes, it's, it's the best threat against shops. Right. It, it generates card advantage under a mountain of spheres, and it's the most efficient spell you can play. And he has maximal artifact acceleration, which you've talked about. Yes. Max, ma- not only maximal, he has, yeah, he has Mana Crypt, all five Moxen, Soul Ring. Um, the only thing he doesn't have that he could use is maybe a Mana Vault, <laughs> which he probably you know, will now you know, might entertain the, the thought of. But this deck is very well positioned against shops. I don't like Mana Vault with Bob. <laughs> it helps you, though, if you're planning to, playing to load up Jace's on Jace. Too, so. yeah. Right. If you were going to load up more on Jace, which no, is something... He has Academy. Right, I think we're all in favor of. So he's got Academy for Blue Acceleration. But so let's talk about his positioning in the metagame, then. He has... Well, let's finish talking about his lists. Let's see what else is in here, and then we can... Well, okay, fine. Go he's ahead. got Library, which is an interesting... Big game against other blue decks and Landstill. Especially, especially. Landstill. This is the first vintage championship where Snapcaster Mage is legal. Oh. And he has three. And I think it speaks to what Paul said much earlier on in this podcast, which is that Snapcaster Mage is strong against UR Delver. And he does, in fact, have three mental missteps. So his counterspell configuration is four fours, two, <laughs> two minutes. This deck would have rolled me for sure. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I, I guess we can answer your question now. It's very well positioned against the whole field. Yeah, it's it got really Bob was. for Lansdale. You know, if you get, if you, you can protect it because he's got three mental missteps, he's got two lightning bolts and three Snapcaster Mage. So he's gonna burn out Delvers, burn out opposing Bobs, burn out Lodestone Golems. Mm-hmm. He's got the Snapcaster Mage, and then he's got, you know, all this, this huge mana base and all these accelerations for a Workshop. And his, his, he even has a main deck Nihil Spell Bomb for Dredge. Which really helped him, as he explained to me, and you'll hear in our interview. He played Dredge three times in the Swiss, and again in the top eight, he won all four game ones. I, we watched him beat Dredge game one. He had he went Nihil, Spellbomb, and Tinker on the same turn. <laughs> it's incredible. He said he had the Spellbomb in his opening hand twice, and he had DT for it in one of the third games. I don't know about the fourth. Well, yeah. <clears throat> he doesn't have a very heavy sideboard for Dredge at all. I, I kind of disagree. Low cost, he's, high reward. He's got he's got Grafiger's Cage. It's diverse. Two Nils Bomb, Pithy Needle, and two Yuxla Jailers. That's and six plus explosives and pyroclasm. Right, and some splash acres. Yeah, he's got yeah pyroclasm and explosives. What explosives oh, both kill bridge, and he's got the Nihil Spellbomb next. So there's nine cards. Ex- explosives kills bridge the tokens. and yeah. all the zombie tokens. Yeah, so does pyroclasm. Yeah. He described for me later on, which our listeners will hear, about how he thought it was important to not only fight their graveyard and slow them down with things like Jailer and Cage and Needle, but then he found that he was frequently accomplishing that and then dying to whatever Leftover team, tokens or whatever right, they had whatever around. small team they'd managed to create. And so he, la- he wanted the explosives and the pyroclasm to clean up to really shut them off on both ends. Yeah. And the, the, we've talked a lot about... In well, having matchups. those kind of things aren't bad because there's all those aggro decks. Sure, so, sure. I mean, you're it's, it's you're getting splash hate to other decks anyway. It, it's important to note that in a deck like this, you don't need to totally lock out Dredge like you do in Landstill, which we yeah. covered way earlier in the podcast. Yeah. With Landstill, you need to lock them out and keep that lock piece in play. With this kind of deck, you have Key Vault, you have Tinker yeah. Colossus, yep. you have good guys. Yep. You just need to slow them down, really. Right. Shut them down and finish. Right. The only thing I would change from this deck is I would cut the Sensei's Divining Top and add a third Jace. I think that's valid. Sensei's Divining Top is decent here, though. It's good. I mean, you're but, a mob deck. Well, but. that was the same thing. You know, I, if you, I think Jace is just as good, though. You know, so you flip a Jace. You yeah. know, I think that's a little frightful and unnecessarily so. Yeah, gives you a little bit of percentage against the other like, like big mana Turbo Tez 
G four J stacks. Exactly. Stacks. Absolutely. His sideboard notably has no. He has two. Sorry, only one red elemental blast and four ingotuer. Right. So he's maxing out on answers to to lodestone golem. And I think he has one more bolt, right? Yeah. So he has three bolts post board and four. Ingotures, and he brings in a mountain. And he brings well, maybe in a mountain. that's a re- like that's a justification for why you want a top so you can get it down against shops. So you're not flipping ingot chewers. Well, I like four ingot chewers. Well, I do yeah. too. So I mean, like even the, with Bob, it's fine. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, it helps you against shop. Yeah, helps you not die to your bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Since he's dividing top it's is a, a real deal. So this deck was simply very well positioned for this event, and he played it well. He played it quite well. well. He was definitely. Uh, dialed in for the top eight. We watched several of his games, and he did everything he needed to, and I think he did it all so correctly. Our, since our listeners probably weren't there, let's recount the finals for them. The final game. All right, so we're doing this NPR style. Game three of the finals went thusly. Oh, set up. Mark was first place in the Swiss, and this event was the first vintage championships to feature the play-draw rule where... Swiss placement determines who goes first in a match. Not who goes first, but who chooses. Yeah. And so Mark, So who goes first? <laughs> so, right. And so Mark was Ben Karp. <laughs> right. Mark was on the play no, in no, all of his top eight ben matches. Ben Karp says he chooses to draw with Lansdale. Right. And so. he believes that that gives him more success. So anyway, Mark chose was on the play and chose to play in all of his top eight matches, which in our collective opinion is huge. On the play it's in game Right, in game three. <laughs> He played, his opening hand was Scalding Tarn, Ingot Chewer, Lotus, Key, Engineered Explosive, Strand. He mulled to six, and that was his keep on the play. They both mulled to six. Did they? Blaine, I, did, Blaine, I didn't know it's, oh, I couldn't see Blaine's hand, hand. Blaine's opening hand was Lotus, Buried Ruin, Buried Ruin, Lodestone Golem, Crucible, and I don't remember the rest of the cards. That, that sounds pretty good. No, right? then that can't be right because he... He mulliganed he, the Lotus Turn 1 Lodestone Golem hand. Oh, he mulliganed that. He mulliganed that I'm hand. sorry. I thought that was what he kept. And, and, and Mark, blown out. Mark announced yeah. that he was going to mulligan first. Of course. Oh. It's to six. And Blaine still decided he was going to mulligan that hand with Lotus, Buried Ruin, Buried Ruin. Interesting. Golem. I was, I was speaking to Theo. I said, man, Theo, I might have kept that hand. <laughs> Turns out... Right. He would have been stuck on, he yeah. stuck on two yeah. mana and wouldn't be able to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Pretty bad. So instead, do you know what his six yes. was? His six had Lodestone Golem. Um, Must have had Workshop, Sol Ring, Revoker, Revoker. That was it. Wait, it, I'm sorry. I think it had Lodestone Golem. I'm not 100% well, sure Well, he would have seven cards after his draw, so I don't know which one he drew. Yeah. I might be mistaken about that. And I think he had a, a, a Buried Ruin also. Um, oh, he had Academy at some point. He must have gone. So anyway, turn two. recount the game for us, sir. So, uh, Mark, on the play, plays Flooded Strand, gets an island, plays Black Lotus, and Jace. The which Mind Sculptor. I, for some reason, did not list in his opening hand. I apologize to our listeners. There was Jace in there. So there's Lotus Jace. <clears throat> so he plays, not only does he play first turn Jace, he brainstorms, and then he drew into a key. I'm sorry. He drew into a Mox to play yes. his key. Yes. So he ends he the first turn key. with Lyland, Mox, Key, Jace in play. And now that sounds like, a, cor- that sounds like a colossal blowout already. Yep. And we were all looking at that, at least I was, thinking, yeah. how is Blaine <laughs> going to get out of this one? <clears throat> but Blaine had an incredible follow-up yep. because he plays Workshop, Phyrexian Revoker. This is why Vintage is awesome. Yeah, just Workshop, Phyrexian Revoker. And of course I thought, oh, that's all he's going to do this turn. 
And, of course, and Mark workshop, workshop for Extreme Revoker on. Uh, Mark has no counter, so it resolves, and so Blaine names Jace, which yeah. seems pretty obvious at this point. Then he plays Sol Ring Revoker number two, which also resolves, and this is where things get very interesting. So let's talk like our yeah. scenario before. Let's go okay. around the table. Brian, what would you name with your second Revoker in this context? It's He's got not key even. Play. It's not even close to name Jace. Okay. You named Jace with the second Revoker. Yes. Paul? I mean, I'd probably name the the Time Vault or key. Like the key? Yeah. Which was in play. I would, or I would, maybe the Mox. That's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm really likely to play the name of the Mox. The Mox seems very appealing. Yeah. That, but I, I would probably... I mean, you've got three legitimate targets. I would honestly, being an inexperienced workshop player at this point, I would probably name the key. But I think that's not... What do you think? <laughs> I am counting on my opponent having Ingot Chewer and having access to it quickly. Yeah. Especially, well, I'm going to name Jace with the second one too. Right. And when you, the more you think about it, you know, doubling up on the Jace is huge because once you unlock the one, then the other one's I think, gone. I think this speaks to the idea of evaluating every option because it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's not immediately intuitive. Right. Why would you name something you just named? Right. Exactly. But what you have to do is you have to think, what are the reasons for naming each of these things? And how is my opponent about to fight it? And how my, has my opponent got to fight? That that comes out. Right. If, you, if you think to yourself, well, if I play the second revoker and name Jace, why would I do that? And then if it occurs to you, well, one reason to do that is because my opponent might destroy my first one, then I think you almost certainly come down to the conclusion, crud, I have to name Jace. <laughs> you know? I think so too. Well, it, it's it's actually it, it's a little bit counterintuitive. And I, I was watching the match with another well known vintage player mm-hmm. who I'm not going to name said but anyway, um, <laughs> Because it's part of the story, but uh, he when he played the second revoker, the, the other guy goes, "So what do you name Key or Jet?" And I said, "Key or Jace?" No, the Mox. Oh, This is an interesting situation. What do you name Key or Mox? And I said, "Jace, not close." <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, okay." Like I'd probably name the Saw Ring or whatever, and then. And then after the match, he, we were having this big conversation. He yeah. kind of recanted and was like, "I would definitely name the Jace," but he was not on that plane wow. at the time. So, and it's counterintuitive. But, yeah. So this is the sort That's of thing good player, that so. you need to think yeah. through. Or you, you're in these in finals. You got to tank for a minute. <laughs> really evaluate the options. Yeah, I think, I think it's yeah. really greedy to not name the Jace. It is. You know, you're you're <laughs> like greedy. really trying to blow them out. <laughs> yeah. So but. so conti- so Blaine named Key. Blaine named Key. On turn two, Mark draws and plays Scalding Tarn, tap, sacking no, for a vault. He Scalding Tarn in his hand. Um, yes, he did. He held it. He played Strand on turn one to get the basic island. He plays Tarn on turn two to get the Valk. And, of course, plays Ingot Chewer on the Revoker naming Jace. Then he brainstorms with his Jace. He saw a lightning bolt, but put it back. He's, what, tell us what he He brainstormed in the lightning bolt Force of Will Hercules recall. Pretty wow. good. <laughs> he Again, keeps. He would not have been able to do that if right. there was another revoker. On right. It. <laughs> he keeps. That Hercules would have been three cards down. He keeps Force of Will Hercules. I think very rightly yes. puts back Bolt and the engineered explosives. Yes. And then, <laughs> on top of that, what a since, set of cards. since he can, since he, since at this point he has now Island and Jet, which was the Mox, like you said, he DTs for Time Vault. Mm-hmm. That's a good reason to, to name, uh, to name jet, the, key. the jet too. The jet, or, that yeah. Too, yeah. or the key. I mean, it's defensible either way. 
So he we had just had success with the Bomberman match, naming the, the Time Vault or whatever. It's important to note here that we yeah, that we have a Revoker key. on key oh, in play, right, and he right. demonic tutors for Time Vault. Yeah. So, he, but the thing is that you can make that play because he just drew Force of Will Herco's Recall. Because so he he has a plan now. Yeah. Next turn. So now we're thinking, boy, it's not looking too good for this, our hero. <laughs> this is where Blaine's deck, not having spheres, is punished. Yes, but it might appear to the observer again on turn two that Blaine now is in a tight spot again. Yeah. What does Blaine do? All he does is play Academy, Lodestone Golem, and Revoker again. Yeah, just that's that. all. Just, just all. all. Right. Just all. Third Revoker. That's all. <laughs> so at this point, in Lodestone Golem, Lodestone Golem has resolved, and so he attacks the Jace. Hold on, it's, it's kind of like Juggernaut. It's it's important <laughs> to note that Lodestone Golem has resolved, preventing Mark from force of willing the Revoker, because Mark's tapped out. Right, right, right. With yes. land, land, Mox, he can't force this Revoker, so Blaine naturally names Jace again. Yes, and he attacks the Jace for two. <clears throat> No. No. That's critical. Because having played a second revoker on Jace now, he is not he's not so concerned about He attacked Mark. Jace. He attacks Mark for two. Mm, I would not do that. killing the Jace. I would, I would definitely attack. That's definitely I think that's another Jace. key play right there. Is definitely he, attack the Jace. After his first revoker on Jace was killed, he still felt so confident that the second one was gonna stick. It is significant that And the Jace is on two? Putting the two yeah. through yeah. Yeah. the so other one puts will... him on a two turn clock. Five Two revokers is nine. Wait, two wait, wait. Clock, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. He's fetched. The, uh, Jace is on he's three. Twice, so J- he's at 18. Jace is on three. He's yeah, brainstormed he's twice. Life. Oh, no. Brian, I'm talking about life total. Yeah, By attacking Brian. the player, you put him on a two, two turn clock. 18. Uh, yeah, agreed. agreed. Right, right. And Jace is on three. So Jace is on three, so he can't kill Jace. So he Jace can't actually kill turn. Jace. Yeah. I, was, I would still attack Jace. I think it's, I think it's defensible. I would still attack Jace, too, but I'm just saying, like, there's. the point. It's defensible. Yeah. That's an interesting scenario. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. So, unfortunately for Blaine, though, on turn three. Uh, Mark simply draws a volcanic island and plays it and says go with three lands up and a mox. So he's got four mana. Blaine untaps with Lodestone, Revoker in play. He wastes the Valk, which is good. Takes him to three mana. Which takes him to three mana. Yes. But 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 uh, Mark can still play Hercules Recall on three mana. And that's exactly. Blaine swings naturally at Mark, as we've discussed, and then he plays Tangle Wire, which sadly... Is a great card, great, but against not gonna do Hercules it. Recall anything is not enough Hercules, to get. Yeah. yeah, against anything but Hercules is a real blowout here. Blaine, but, Blaine but Mark, probably had to think, "I'm about to win this." He, he, yeah, he must have felt very good because you've just played Lodestone Golem, and you're about to tangle while your opponent if he has down a for a turn or a thorn. There, he wins. That's right. If he has a sphere or a thorn, he wins this particular game because Mark wouldn't have been able to Hercules during Blaine's turn. But as it, as it was. Tangle wire is exactly the he wrong card. He wouldn't be able to win through That's the. That's not true. The he sphere. wouldn't be able to hurt Golem's response. Hurt Golem's response to the sphere and then. Have to draw a line. And then win through it. He um, wasted him. Oh, he yeah, wastelanded his. Three minutes. Yeah, he could hurt Golem's response so the sphere would be in play. And then he, then he would have to find a land to. Oh, that, that's right. So. Yeah, he'd be able Mark, to get them both in Mark, play. Mark, you might have been just, able to win on the next just turn. That, he'd be drawing to a land. Right, and it would also time walk him and save him damage from the next turn. Yeah, it's true. Hercules is still just so bad right here. Which is very interesting because I. Because I've gone to four Jaces, I cut Hercules out of my decks. Yeah. Wait, doesn't he have the? Does he have the... <laughs> I don't know about that. No, he doesn't. Because I've been relying, I've been relying on Ingotchewers and Lightning Bolts and Trigon Predators, you know. And I've, I've, I've come to the conclusion you want to be able to hit the this, the key cards, yeah. and not just Hercules, but that Hercules seems pretty. Hercules so, Recall is an amazing catch-all to be able to do. Yeah. Show. In case it's, it's not, really in, these, in case it's not clear for our listening yeah. audience, <laughs> Hercules Recall went on the stack during Blaine's end step, removing all opposition. Mark untapped played. 
Time Vault and took all the rest of the turns. All the great, turns. Great, yep. great finals. A great, so, a great game. Three. So shocking. So, turn one, Jace was good enough. But it's, it's but yeah. <laughs> On the play. But, but yeah. almost not. But almost, almost not. not good enough. If, almost if not. He had played one Revoker difference. call difference, you have we wouldn't have been able to catch outcome. that brainstorm. Also, you wouldn't have been able to catch wouldn't that Wouldn't have been able to win. It, look, it's yes, important to great. note, too, that... Um, he would have been beat if, down by... A revoker yes. and a lodestone. It's important yeah. to note too that Mark drew a land when he needed to. He yes. drew Valk on the, the penultimate turn. If he doesn't draw a land there and draws some other blank, and Blaine plays something that disrupts his mana differently. Let's underscore Paul's point though. Paul's point is that if he had revokered the Jays, mm -hmm. Blaine wins. I think so. So there it is. But you make the right call. Get win, despite the brokenness of Vintage. And let's let's also keep in mind that the game was influenced by a Demonic Tutor, and if the second Revoker names Jace, that Demonic Tutor probably gets a different target, and the game maybe plays out a little differently. Maybe or maybe Pyroplasm he, in there? He, yeah, he would have had Pyroplasm in there. We don't know he sideboarded in. He might not have sideboarded He, 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 he probably, probably did, though. Probably also, he had explosives in his hand. Yeah, I mean, with it's double not revoker in case the blame would have won, but it's, it, it would have given Blaine he a had explosives really in hand. good chance. So look, if he Revokers the Jace twice, Mark's got Jet's uh, island and chewer in hand. He probably just taps Jet and Island, leaves Tarn up, plays Revoker on two, and says go. Right? I'm not sure what upsided in Pyroclasm for this man. Yeah, well, I don't but think the point, I don't think look, he guys, actually, no. fellas, fellas, I understand. He has explosives in hand, all right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So he plays Revoker on two, right? The, 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 um, yeah, but if he plays explosives, then Blaine, then Blaine plays. Third, I know. Yeah, Blaine third. plays Revoker on. Explosives, right? And then he but then, does Blaine kill Jace with two revokers? Yes. yes. Ooh, yeah, I'd say so. Yes. He might not. He didn't in this game. He didn't attack Jace. I know it's but different. He wouldn't have finished Jace. I, I know it's different. I know it's different. But he might not, given the way he's played to this point, right? He's got double revoker on Jace and a revoker on the explosives. He might not. If he kills Jace, well, if he does that, he can he can ingature the one on explosives and then blow his board. I know, and then Blaine would be forced with or sitting with just lodestone golem in play to Mark's uh, lightning bolt, which he would have subsequently drawn. So Mark would bolt the lodestone golem in response to Tanglewire next turn. I think that game goes long if if Blaine makes the double Jace play early because Mark had tons of removal. He can kill all the revokers. Bolt the lodestone, Tango Wire goes down. That game goes long at that point. An analytically speaking, I think this is the most interesting finals I've ever seen. Like, finals game, game yeah. three. I mean, of course, in terms of entertainment value, <laughs> Paul's against Mark last year was great. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the Turtenwald Mar finals was not, not so interesting, yeah. although it did end in a bombastic way, but still. Yeah, Pretty. with Bob died to himself. That's right. Bob was yeah. eaten by Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we we were we rewarded should, with a very we would be remiss if if we did not say congratulations to Mark for his fantastic performance. He played a good deck, great well, deck, well positioned great in deck. the. Uh, yeah. He played. I think what's I think you, it's safe to say that Bob Jace is a staple in the format, but he had a good build of it, a great yeah. build of it. I for mean, this you could event. build Bob Jace, but well, how many tournaments in a row now? Bob Jace. Bob has won how many vintage tournaments? Three out of the last four? Ex it yeah. would it, well, no. It, 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 Bob, yeah, it did not win last year, but it got second and third. Three right. out of the last four, right? <laughs> right. But then Tommy yeah. Haro had Bob, right? Tommy um, Haro. Sorry. Owen. Hiromichi. Hiromichi. I'm sorry. Hiromichi. Owen had Bob. It basically got second or first in four of the last four. Wow. Yeah. It, this is, again, speaks to, I think, Bob is the, the linchpin to these decks. Very interesting. It gets chopped and something. In the environment where it looks on Golem, is predominant. Mm -hmm. Bob is the best control drawing control. Gush just can't hack it. Yeah. <laughs>
this is Kevin, and I'm here with recently crowned vintage champion Mark Lanagra from Germany. Hi there. Hi there. Thank you for joining me, and congratulations on your finish. Thanks a lot. Mark, I want to give our listeners a little bit of a feel for who you are and how you got here and how it went for you, obviously, with great success. Okay. Let's start with who you are. Tell us about where you're from. Uh, I'm from the very southwest of Germany. Um, I'm 26. I just finished my studies in mechatronics with sensor technology specialty. And I thought, why not make the trip to Gen Con before getting into business? <laughs> so you're after college, starting in your professional career. Yeah, yeah. And you came here with some others, right? Yeah, with two other guys. Uh, one is Richard Lessmann. Uh, he also played in the vintage tournament. Mm -hmm. And the other is uh, Jens Arndt. He's a, a, tra a trader from Germany and a friend of us. Well, we're all glad that you made the trip. We don't have a whole lot of players from outside of the North America that make the trip down here. So yeah, I think that's a pity. That's a pity. It's not not too international here, although it's the championships. At right. Least, at least, yeah. So you won the event with a blue deck, Jace, Dark Confidant, Snapcaster Mage. Exactly. We'll cover the very details of the deck, Steve and I, I think, in more detail after this. But I want to talk about how you chose that deck and what your selection process was like. Yeah, you know, I'm not too proud of it <laughs> because I, I didn't know what to play. Um, from history, I'm I'm in love with Dark Rituals. Okay. I'm like a combo player, and after Dark Rituals went out of the format, I played Gush a lot, mm -hmm. had some success with it, but then the bad Flusterstorm came, and I had to play something different <laughs> <laughs> because I saw here in America Flusterstorm is really big. Mm -hmm. Some people play four of it, mm -hmm. so you can't play any any combo, I think, and. Yeah, I tested this deck uh, of a friend of mine, Alban Lauter. Mm -hmm. uh, he won a lot of it w in Germany. And I just tested it online. And I think it went okay versus blue. But what I really liked is, with my modified sideboard, it kind of always beats Mart and Dredge. You have a very decent matchup against these decks. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I wanted. Because I expected the metagame to be very many workshops and very many Dredge decks. And you were correct. Uh, I was quite correct for that. It was a bit of a gamble because I didn't pick... I just had one red bus, I think, for, t for blue. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite weak against blue, but come, I, I played only two blacks, two blue decks yesterday. So you called the metagame pretty well, especially for your path through it. But tell us about the Swiss leading up to the top eight. What did you face? Um, I faced Gretsch three times in the Swiss. Really? Yeah, two blue decks and two mud. Wow, so your metagame prediction was spot on for it, your run. It was, it was quite right. Um, the blue games were close, my games, mm -hmm. as I expected. I think I was a bit lucky to win them because they probably had more for the mirror. Mm -hmm. But the dredge decks were like, uh, it was insane. I, I, pl I played four dredge, uh, another one in the top eight. Sure. And I won all four game ones against dredge. That's incredible. So how, how is it that your main deck was so good against Dredge? I think it was just the Nihil Spellbomb I had in the main deck. Really? I, I had Two times I had it in my starting against Dredge. That's quite lucky. Mm -hmm. And the other times I just threw it for it. They don't expect it. And if you can go like turn two, Demonic Tutor, Nihil Spellbomb, kill their graveyard. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Most Dredge players are not playing safe, I think, in the first game. And they just go and max out on dredging, and they put all their dredges in their yard and stuff. And if you just randomly remove their graveyard, they can't do anything about two turns, and that's enough to win. 
And so how were you sealing the deal then so quickly? Always tinkering. Okay. It was like, I, I, I think it's wrong to say I won all my games by tinker. <laughs> right. Because that's really just a finisher. I think always other cards won the game. And Tinker is like this this one win condition I really have. Mm -hmm. Because I, I love decks with only one win condition. You see, when I played Gash, I, I, I even cut the Ten Rods of Agony. Because I didn't think it was necessary. Because it could all. If you, if you Gash a lot, you can always win with Tinker because it's enough to put a Blight Seal on Time Walk. Okay. And that's how I won nearly all games yesterday. But in this deck that you chose to play, you did at least have Blight Steel Colossus and Key Vault, right? Yeah, Key Vault is just um, a nice way of winning randomly. I suppose I have to say randomly, but um, that's exactly what I need against Mud and Red. You, you need to win, you have a short window mm -hmm. of where you can do stuff, and then you want to have more possibilities of sealing, sealing the deal. Can you give us a feel for how often you won with, say, Tinker for Blightsteel versus Key Vault, or something else? Um, I think I actually won with Key Vault two or three games only. In the whole event? In the whole event, yeah. But most people were hating it out. They mm -hmm. were like instantly killing a piece of the combo if I put it down. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I had like revokers against me or stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was fine with that because then the hate wouldn't affect my play at all. If they play a revoker on what's high key, mm -hmm. just because they're out afraid of time world, I can play my Jace safely. Mm -hmm. So I think that's okay. <laughs> How often did you did you win any game specifically with Jace's ultimate? Um, I won one game. Yeah. Okay. I was like, uh, I was quite greedy with it. I was not sure what to do. I, my opponent was playing uh, workshops. Okay. And he didn't have much mana, and I got an early Jace down, and I just figured out I could brainstorm here, but I can just fade seal him also, and if he doesn't get two lands in a row, then I think he's screwed. Okay. And that, that worked out. That worked out. Okay. So he just he got a mana the last turn when Jay said thirteen counters and it wasn't relevant anymore. Wow. And did you win with creature beatdown at any point? Um, yeah, yeah. Some of the games were just creature beatdown. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess I said before that most games I won I won with Blightsteel, but some were just straight with um, something like uh, the confident snapcaster for something, mm -hmm. time walk, snapcaster another time walk win. Mm -hmm. That happened like two or three times. So, I want to talk about your top 8 run then, yeah. because much like the Swiss, your top 8 then was Dredge, and Shops, Shops, yeah. right. So talk about that, how did that feel after going through all this, the same thing in the Swiss, were you just focused and ready to knock everyone yeah. down? <laughs> I think Jens put it best when we talked, when I got into top 8, mm -hmm. he said, with the system of, you won the Swiss, so you're going first in all games. Mm -hmm. I already won, <laughs> that's what he said, because I have, I have a, a very good matchup against workshops. And if I know my opponent is having workshops and I go first, yeah, it's just insane. So for listeners who may not know, this event was one of, in my experience, one of the first in a major vintage yeah, event to use the top eight play draw rule. And Mark was first in the standings in the Swiss, so he was guaranteed to be on the play for the whole top eight. And as you said, knowing your opponent's. The combination of all those factors, knowing your matchup, being on the play, being prepared so you can set up your mulligans correctly. Did, did you win all of your game ones in the top eight? Uh, yeah. 
I will all wow. get Nelson. Even That's against incredible. even against Dredge. Right. Because I was going first and I knew he was being Dredge. Mm -hmm. So I mulligan to six. Then I saw like I could brainstorm and Snapcaster brainstorm the first turn. Mm. Oh. And I had okay. a good chance. A good ch I had a Lotus Hand. Mm -hmm. And I had a good chance of uh, finding the spell bomb, which I did. And I just sealed the deal. Wow. And against Mart it was the same. I mulligan for hands with a lot of acceleration. And yeah. I mean, their game plan is to shut me out, mm -hmm. and if I put like land mox mox in the first turn, even if I do nothing, that's that's making so many of their cards just blanks. Mm -hmm. So let's talk through each matchup in the top eight. Then the first was Dredge. You yeah. just described how you found your spell bomb in game one, and then what's your sideboard like for that matchup in game two? Um, it's quite diverse. Mm -hmm. I have like two Jigslid, um, two additional Nihil spell plus the one in the main. Um, an explosives and a pyroclasm, and a, a single python needle. Expl you mean engineered explosives? Engineered explosives, okay. yeah. And a single python needle and a single Grafticus cage. That is very diverse. That's you, you don't have trinket mage, so that's a surprisingly diverse selection of artifact hate. Why did you choose to break it up like that? Um, I think the best thing was about it that they play all the whispers, so and they they have to bring it in because they don't know what you're starting. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't like the ley lines. I haven't had too much success with the ley lines. I never draw them in my opener, and I'll, I think it's better if you can just first turn demonic for something and then put it in second turn. You faced Kevin, and did he bring in his whispers against you? Um, or we did he played. Have them? We played in the round there, and therefore he knew that uh, that I didn't have ley lines. Oh, you played. You beat him in the I, Swiss. I, I beat him in the Swiss. And yeah, so he, he already knew. Interesting. But it didn't help him very much. The, the problem is uh, with this divorce head, it's hard for him to choose what to keep. He can't he, he can't really keep a hand with the just like two ingotures and a city of brass. Mm -hmm. uh, what if I have a fax and jigslet? Mm -hmm. He can do nothing. And that's exactly what happened. He, he, I think it felt like he always had the wrong answers for my hate cards mm -hmm. because they were so diverse. And especially the the pyroclasm um, was just sick because they're not used to losing when they already have a lot of zombies. <laughs> yeah, th that's just the, the plan. Right. That, that's a problem. I, I had a lot of times, even if I could stop their engine at a certain time, if they had like three zombies, it would be enough to win the game. Mm -hmm. So I was 100% that I wanted at least one sweeper. And with engineered explosives, I actually got two of them to be safe. One of each, and, right? Yeah, one of each. And it worked out great. A very interesting approach. A lot of people, myself included, are a little pessimistic about using answers that assume that the game has gone to turns two or three against Dredge. Okay. Because your answer, uh, answer, I mean, what I mean is your sideboard card of Pyroclasm implies that the game graduates to the point where they've dredged and got some tokens or something else. What do you make of the speed of that matchup? Your, your Yixlet Jailers are on two. You can't always play them on turn one. Obviously, Pyroclasms and Explosives are designed for turns two, three, and beyond. What do you make of the speed of that matchup? And why aren't you geared with seven or eight cards toward turn one as opposed to the slower ones? Um, I think it's just safer. Because the cards I have are more powerful. You see, if you, if you don't have the Leyland in your opening, mm -hmm. it's dead. It's dead. It doesn't do anything in this matchup. And I think you have way too many cards already that do nothing in this matchup. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the dredge decks nowadays are designed to 
beat that first turn disruption and then put a bazaar on win. And I think if you don't play into that and you wait a turn, they don't really know what to do. So do they put a bazaar and activate it and maybe get their yard killed by Neil's Bellbomb on the next turn? Or they, they can't be too sure what you're doing. And I like the idea of killing their yard and then killing their board. And if they have like 20 cards left in the, the deck, that probably isn't enough for winning. That's I, that's I think something some people don't realize against dredge. They don't have an infinite library. <laughs> they can True. only dredge that much, and if you kill it, they can't do anything. Speaking of people's approach to dredge, can, did you notice any differences between the United States? Not the whole metagame, but specific yeah. to dredge, how the United States prepares for and attacks dredge versus over in Europe. Um, I, I'll quote Richard here, who mm -hmm. was playing dredge for a long time and had very much success in Europe. Uh, Americans are playing crappy dredge lists. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, the reason is he thinks that they are not nearly packing enough disruption. Uh, I saw some of the dredge decks I played today in the higher rounds mm -hmm. had for example Leyline Main mm -hmm. and most decks in the states don't have that mm -hmm. and I think that's a clear mistake because in the mirror it just wins you mm -hmm. and um, Dredge has to be concerned about game ones I think with creature decks running around especially in the US and if you can Leyline your bridges are safe um, your opponent can Snapcaster can have that insane will turn or something mm -hmm. And I think most dredge decks are weaker here. They they try to do fancy stuff like Fate Stitcher or uh, Dredge Turn is Sun Titan. I think that's cool. Everyone loves fatties, but um, that's winning more. That's winning more. And I, I have to admit, I won at least two two uh, games against dredge just because my opponents misplayed. They it wasn't a clear misplay, but they were like too greedy. Mm -hmm. They wanted everything and more and more and more. And then a spellbomb came and they had nothing left. Well, I'm, I like a lot of the things you pointed out there. I want to touch on one thing, which is the Dread Return. Do you yeah. think that Dread Return should not be in Dredge? Or do you think it should have a certain portion of the deck? Um, I'm not quite an expert on Dredge, but I think the Dread Return isn't really needed. I, I don't know any Dredge player, in, in Europe at least, that isn't playing them and not siding them out. So why play a card main deck? If you already have an 80 or 90% win in game one mm -hmm. that you will side out anyway. I, I don't like that idea. I think they, the dredgex need to pack even more answers for hate cards. Because if people are not playing with like four leyline and the Thomas script, mm -hmm. it's getting hard for them. It's getting hard for them, and they need more answers, really. You also touched on Dredge's role in an environment with more creatures. Yeah. And you've observed that the U.S. has more creature decks like Rug and Green-White, yeah. that kind of I thing. I definitely do think Noble so. Noble Fish. And so what do you think about Dredge's role in that kind of a metagame? Um, I think if you build Dredge the right way, of not just wanting to win on second turn... Uh, with all your might, of just winning on turn three is okay for you with Dredge, mm -hmm. I think you win the creature decks. I think that's why creature decks are actually not that good in Vintage. Mm -hmm. It isn't because of blue, it isn't because of 
Mud, because you can sideboard very good cards with Creature Decks. But Dredge is really the problem. They have a fast clock and you can race them with Creature Decks. You can't have the brokenness. You, you, you can't snatch the games with a first turn Tinker or first turn Jace or something. Mm -hmm. um, and they, I think, they straight up beat you. If they have a ley line, they can get zombies all the time. And if your primary attack is at killing him with creatures, try that through five zombie tokens. Right. <laughs> That's coming back every turn. Right. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well... And I think what you just described was borne out in this event. We had a number of players playing Rug Delver specifically. Yeah. It was, I think, the most represented creature deck that isn't a workshop or a zombie-based deck, and none of them made top eight. So it's hard to be a little too... It's maybe being too resorts-oriented, but I think that matchup is pretty bad for the Rug player in Game 1 especially. And yeah, I think so. I as think you were so. observing, you didn't think that the American metagame was packing enough hate for Dredge in their sideboard anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's what I... Uh, I'm not that much into the American metagame really, mm -hmm. but I look up the top 8s at Morphling mm -hmm. and I always see blue decks with 5 cards against Dredge mm -hmm. and I'm 100% I'm that's not enough. You can beat them of course, I think it's vintage, every deck can beat every deck mm -hmm. and that's what I kind of like about a format, mm -hmm. but I think packing 7 to 8 cards is a necessity if you're facing a lot of Dredge. Well, you certainly proved your point with your 4-0 record against it. Yeah, yeah. Um, although, I have to point out again, I was lucky, definitely. Winning four game ones. Mm -hmm. I think Anihil's Babop is very nice, but winning four game ones is just absurd. <laughs> well, you can't expect to win a whole event of this size without having a little bit of luck on your no, side no, at some no, point. No. So. But um, I want to point out, mm -hmm. the, the best game I played yesterday was against my, my top 8 opponent with the Gretsch. Okay. Which uh, game? But, but the game in the round before. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sad it was the game in the round and not the game covered. Right. Um, but it was very, very swingy because he had like everything in game two. Okay. And was like 90% to win or 95 even. And I top deck an ancestry recall uh, with Lotus and Demonic. <laughs> okay. And then I had like two solutions and I played a Jigs Lajela and the Pyroclasm the same turn. So everything he had died and he did not get tokens from Bridges. Wow. And then he. Topic a bazaar <laughs> because he drew a card just normal. He topic a bazaar and he won the same turn with that bazaar. Wow! And I was, I was. It was so funny. I was, I was satisfied. You know, I, I lost the game, but it was so so cool that I had all the luck, uh -huh. and then he got it back at me. It it just seemed alright. Well, that's why a lot of us really love vintage, is because of how powerful the cards are. And just so we're clear, yeah. it sounds as though he had bridges in the yard, you must have played Jailer first, and then Pyroclasm, yeah, yeah. your own Jailer away, yeah, yeah. so that he Jailer wouldn't get the tokens. Yeah. Right. And, and he, he had like blood gas, enough blood gas to, to kill me. Uh-huh. Uh, not nearly enough, there was something missing. So he had to top deck a land for the blood gas, and it kind of had to be a bazaar to get more <laughs> cards in his grave. Right. And he had like all that stuff with the one card, he had like top deck a bazaar. That's fantastic. That was, was really nice. Well, that's the kind of thing we love about Vintage. Yeah. So, we've talked a lot about Dredge. Let's move on to the top eight, okay. though. Then you faced two shop decks consecutively. Yeah. Talk about those matchups. Though the first was... <clears throat> excuse me. Then you played Raph. The Italian man, yeah. Then you played Raph, and he was on... Just a moment. Just a moment. He was on Martello Shops. So, talk about that, that match, that round. Um, 
that Matt was like, I knew he was playing shops. Mm-hmm. I was going first. I had a very decent hand. And he also had the occasional mulligan okay. that you sometimes get with workshops. You're playing not that many mana sources, so I think it's okay to, to mulligan sometimes with mm-hmm. workshops. But he had mulligan to four oh. in the first game. So it really wasn't a game, I have to say. Um, he had a decent mulligan to four. He had like a turn one, loadstone golem and chalice for zero. <laughs> That's with mulligan good. to four, that's, that's really, really good. But you were on the play. But but as I pointed out, I was on the play. I put my mana first. Mm-hmm. And then I had a solution for the Lotus Golem, and the game was basically over because it didn't have any more cards. Okay. So I think I was favored to win game one anyway. Mm-hmm. But with his uh, with his mulligan, it was like, yeah. There was no game really. And then you won game two, right? I won game two, yeah. Um, Talk about your sideboard shops. Um, the sideboard with shops is... The card in Vintage I kind of love the most is Ingotur. Yeah, I love it. That's only why I play red. It's the Ingotur, an extra mountain to securely play it. Mm-hmm. Um, another lightning bolt for the golem. Mm-hmm. And the engine and explosives. Okay. That, that's, that's the reason why I put the engine and explosives in, was it, it would be nice against Dredge. And it's quite good against workshops. You can get rid of those chalices mm-hmm. if you don't have one for zero. And... You can just pay zero, pay two more, mm-hmm. and kill the spheres. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it didn't come up in this tournament, because I, I didn't drew the, the explosives all day when I played against shops, but it was nice to have that option. Mm-hmm. So your Ingot Chewers got Raph in game two then? Yeah, yeah. It was like, ah, he was like, he had a greedy hand. Okay. He was very greedy with his hand, because he had... Uh, just a Mishra and a Mox. Mishra's factory? Mishra's, Mishra, Mishra's factory, yeah. Okay. And a Mox. And he went first turn a Thorn. And he had no mana to back it up. Ah. And I even had the Lightning Bolt for his factory. Oh, wow. So... So did he attack he you was, on turn two? Yeah, yeah, he attacked me at turn two because he couldn't play anything because of his own thorn. Well, you probably didn't bolt it on two. You probably bolted it on three then, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I bolted one turn. I, I got hit once and then I bolted the next turn. I think he was very unlucky, but... Um, that was a risky keep. Um, it, it was risky. And he knew it was risky. He, I think he was okay with losing that game. But I, I, I don't think it was that big of a mistake from him because... If, if your opponent is up one game, you have to take some risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he was probably right about it. But it was the kind of game, if he, if he doesn't draw a mana surge in the top maybe three or four cards, he will be dead. And yeah. that's exactly what happened. Even uh, when, I, when I even bowled his, his factory, yeah. it's over. So let's talk about the finals then, where you defeated yeah. Blaine. And Blaine was on a slightly different workshop deck, Espresso with smokestacks and worm coil engines so his deck is a little bit different for you but really it's the same story from you, from your point of view isn't it, it it is the same story i didn't see a smokestack i didn't see a worm coil engine okay it never got to that point um the only extraordinary card i saw was the triskelion mm-hmm. which i liked a lot and but that was in game three wasn't it that was uh i can't recall i, I saw recall. he played triskelion and removed the counters to kill jace i remember specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he killed the dash with it. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure how this game went. I think game one was a very early Jace from me. Mm-hmm. 
I think you had turn one, Jace, didn't you? I, I don't think it was game one or three. Okay. But in one game, I had turn one, Jace, with mm -hmm. Land and Lotus. Mm -hmm. And it was just winning. Mm -hmm. that, that's the broken stuff you can do against mud if you know they're mud. <laughs> There's no way I would keep that hand when I'm not sure against what I play, I think. Because a high risk, have, high reward. If they game. have a force of will, I'm dead. Mm -hmm. Because I just have the one land and the Lotus and mm -hmm. the Jace. And like nothing else it really does something. Mm -hmm. You you can't keep that on a on blind, but mm -hmm. I knew he was bang shops, so fetch a mountain, be safe, put the Jace in. I think that was game three because I remember yeah. what game three involved two revokers from him. Yeah. Because yeah, you also revokers. played Voltaic Key on turn yeah. one. Yeah. You played Jace and Key. Yeah, then I, f I found a Mox with the Jace mm -hmm. and put the Key down, and then he played the Revoker on the Key, just well, to be safe. And that, uh, was, right. that was perfectly what I wanted. <laughs> well, that's very interesting. So I want to talk specifically about that. We're talking yeah. Game 3 of the Finals. You've led with Jace and Key, which is an incredibly strong opening. Incredibly but then he strong. responds with a very strong response, yeah. which is Workshop, Soul Ring, Revoker, Revoker. Yeah. And But he chose to name Jace, which you've got to do at least once, right? But then he chose to name Key with the second one, which yeah. is a very interesting debate. Talk about that. Um, yeah, I, I can just call it perfect for me. He, he didn't know my hand. I had an Ingotur already. Granted, granted. I had one removal already. And I was kind of afraid if he named Jace both times, I would have some problems. But he wanted to be safe against the random time world, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you can totally get behind that. Mm -hmm. So he named the key, and then I could remove the revoker and brainstorm again and found a demonic tutor. Mm -hmm. And from there it was really interesting because I had a force of will and the Hercules recall already in hand. Mm -hmm. And three mana on the table, and I decided to demonic tutor for the time world here. Although he had the, um, the revoker. Yep. Because my plan was like bouncing the revoker and then winning with time world. And if that doesn't work, Hercules him EOT. Mm -hmm. And if that even doesn't work, I could force with the Hercules. I think I didn't calculate it too much, but I think that that should give me the best. It uh, would be the best option to give for time out this time. Like you were definitely favored. Yeah. To win at that point, but then what was it he played on his next turn? Yeah, he played a Lodestone Golem mm -hmm. and another Revoker, and that was really <laughs> insane. <laughs> Uh, but he named Jace again, so, yep. so this time I was scared he was naming Double Voltaic Key uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> instead of Double Jace before. Yep. Um, and but you still had three mana up, and Lodestone was his only sphere effect. Yeah. So you were able to cast Hercules Recall on his end step. Yeah, the, the thing is, I uh, I had to pass the turn. I, I, drew, I, drew, I drew a card, I think, anything for the mm -hmm. turn, and then I passed the turn. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he didn't attack Jace, obviously. He attacked me, and he attacked me low, I think, for like yeah. um, nine or something. Was it was what I had you left? You were at seven. At seven, even yeah. Okay, two fetches, I think. Yeah. And we're at seven, and then he tapped his mana, and I think I, I was really scared. If he had another another sphere effect, yeah, I would have to Hercules in response, and he could put something else down. Mm -hmm. But it was a tangle wire, and I was so glad to see it. the first time. I think I was really <laughs> glad to see a tangle wire, right? Because it just is nothing against the Hercules, and right. so I could Hercules and showed him the time vault, and, and that was it. That's it, yeah. 
Well, very exciting stuff. I like that game. I think I'm very pleased that the Vintage Championship ended on that game because I think that game is very encapsulating for the whole format yeah. about how interactive it can be. You had a very explosive start, but he had a very powerful response. Yeah. Yeah, he, could, I mean, like, he could, like, stop everything I had. Right. And I just think... And there were some tactical decisions where he made a risk-reward calculation about yeah. the second revoker. And just that game had a little bit of everything for the format, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, and it's um, what I like about it. It's not that someone misplayed and the other one won, mm -hmm. or someone got maybe. You you can call me lucky, anyways, but <laughs> no one got so extremely lucky. I think mm -hmm. it was like he calculated it out, I calculated it out, mm -hmm. and. It just all came down to the last card he had, and it was a Tangaway. I think if it was a Sphere, he would have won. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I like it. I like it. He, he played very, very, very good with the Revokers. Mm -hmm. Very safe. I also played very safe, and <laughs> it worked out for me. Yeah. Well, fantastic stuff. Congratulations on your finish. I wonder, what are your thoughts about the format now? You're Vintage Champion. I mean, people are going to be looking to you for, di for direction. <laughs> um, for directions, yeah. Uh, As I said before, I'm a combo player, really. Okay. And I don't like that combos out. It is out. Yeah? It really to, to be honest, it is out. There's no way you can make combo work. I thought about bringing Gush just because I love the deck and I wanted to have fun, but I thought uh, it's not too much fun losing all day, so let's bring the decent deck. Um, <laughs> but I think the problem really is that Dredge is becoming too good because it's the redundant deck. Mm -hmm. it's, it's consistent, it always does the same thing. It puts you on a short clock and you have to interact with it. And without combo, no one is keeping it in check, really. And I think Dredge is the main reason you can have that much innovative decks or creature decks like legacy decks ported over it's not because of blue being too strong or mud it's just dredge is too good mm -hmm. so i think that's the point when combo is missing things like dredge just can't take over and i think we'll have a lot of dredge in the next tournaments it was here here it was played the most uh, I've ever seen in a tournament. Mm -hmm. It was like you're looking around and seeing 50% Dredge left and right from you, <laughs> and you were playing against Dredge. <laughs> so it is, it is something that, even with Mark winning last year at the same event yeah. with Dredge, that we had more Dredge in the top eight this year. Yeah. You would expect that people would prepare for it more, perhaps, and it would have been maybe hated out, at least in this event. I think, I think the factors are there are very many Dredge decks, so... It's sure. just normal that some make it to debate. Popularity. But I think the dredge deck is so good and nobody really realizes it. I, I, I'm not sure about it. I, I, I not, don't know all the deck lists from yesterday, but I think many people just came with five cards against dredge. And if you're facing two or three times dredge in the round, you don't, you don't get anywhere with five, with five hate pieces. Especially if it's just four, four generic ley lines. Agreed. That they can head out with nearly everything they have. It's just not good enough. Well, what do you think about the direction of the format in your part of the world, then? Is it different over there in Europe? I mean, is Dredge more in check? Um, I, I think so. I think so. Um, it's, it's like we, we don't have the proxy meta game. Mm -hmm. So I think everyone that's playing Vintage is like 
it's more blue decks, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's what it boils down to. Um, blue decks are very, very popular because they're always good. <laughs> they're, they're always, there's not a time where blue decks, you, you, oh, you can't play blue, blue is too bad. Right. That, that's never going to happen. Right. That's just never going to happen. And I think if, if I played my list in a tournament in Europe, like Bazaar of Moxon or something, I wouldn't get anywhere. Because I play 50% blue decks mm -hmm. and maybe 25 dredge, 25 workshops, and then that list is not good. Don't get me wrong, it's a good list, but <laughs> and it's not favored to win, then you would, would have to tailor the sideboard mm -hmm. against more blue decks. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a big reason for that is Snapcaster. Snapcaster made it even more popular because so many people like the card a lot. Mm -hmm. So even some mud players are switching to blue because Snapcaster is so cool and they feel like it's so powerful. And But over here, I think, um, with the proxies, uh, it's easier to get into workshops, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, I see a lot of I see a lot more workshops here in the top eight, I think, and that's great. That's great because I think that de it's a decent deck if you know to play, know how to play it. But um, there's no way I'm getting four shops. <laughs> you know, I'm always playing blue. Uh -huh. uh, if I could proxy them, maybe I'd sometimes play them. But uh, yeah, so I think. I think maybe that's it. It's it's more blue in Europe, and I think it will dominate even more. With printings like Flusterstorm and Snapcaster, it only gets better. Mm -hmm. It's certain that they keep making new cards for blue in R&D. Yeah, I don't know why yeah. they keep doing it, but... Yeah, like Snapcaster Mage, it's, it's very good in Standard, and it's very good in Legacy, but it's extremely good in Vintage, <laughs> and I think that's always going to happen. Yeah. That's all it's going to keep. It keeps happening with cards like Delver and yeah. Lodestone Golem before it and Jace. These cards just get their effects amplified when you get into the vintage context. Yeah, so, so what about Delver? <laughs> I don't know. What Do you see any of that over in Europe? Um, to be honest, I haven't been to a tournament in a few months in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but I just see it in the top 8 list. But I couldn't figure out how it is good. <laughs> and to be honest, uh, I literally posted on a forum. I don't know about the Davidex because some guys were, were giving me advice what deck to play. Mm -hmm. And I said, call me an ignorant, an ignorant, but I'm not afraid of three power creatures that do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I was lucky to not face them today, uh, yesterday, but um, I don't know, man. So you're not playing convinced. Rock playing Rock Delver is a cool deck in Legacy, <laughs> where you really can a lot can get a lot of out of the tempo thing mm -hmm. with like wastelands and maybe even stifles, mm -hmm. although they don't play too much, or bounce effects and dazes. But in vintage, it's like if I play first turn demonic, and my opponent goes like first turn landmark style of secrets, I feel quite good. Uh -huh. <laughs> I feel quite good. Well, you're not alone. That that deck is actually, I think, fairly divisive in the community in terms yeah. of people's opinion of it and their respect for it. I want to hear a little bit more. You touched on the difference between the American metagame, the European metagame. You mentioned proxies. Now, I think you had an impression of what you thought proxies had done to our metagame. Can you talk about that? Um, I think that's also the reason why I saw that much dredge, to be honest, because most of the power cards have gone to Europe. It's very easy to pick up power there. 
Um, but in the US, I think too many players have sold their power, and the tournaments, the tournament attendance, really goes down for proxies. That's what I honestly believe, because everywhere in Europe where they tried it with proxies, the attendance spikes up a bit, because some people say, "Oh, now I can finally play my deck," and mm -hmm. they go to play it. But on the other hand, is it really interesting to play for a mox or to play for a set of moxen if you don't ever need it and you just cash it in? Okay, okay, it's cash. Mm -hmm. it, it's always prize money. That's that's fine. But um, I wouldn't have made the trip to the U.S. if I wasn't that heavily invested in the format. That's kind of if you if you buy power cards, you stick to the format. And I think that's what Vintage really needs. The guys that don't play a tournament for one and a half years. <laughs> and then they say, oh, I have all these cards lying around. I should make the trip to Bazaar of Moxon. Why not? Have a great time there. Play a lot of great games. Mm -hmm. So I think proxies are really hurting. But I've, it's difficult. You, you've reached a point here in the US where even many of the top players don't own power cards anymore. And I think if you just if you just would straight cut and not allow proxies anymore, it wouldn't work either way. So, very interesting observations, and it definitely calls out some of the unintended consequences of choices that were made here in the U.S. eight nine years ago now, yeah. and they've had some impact, I think, now. Well, I want to leave it up to you now for our closing comments. What do you feel? How does it feel to be the vintage champ? What is this going to do for you? You're going to go back with a different outlook maybe in Europe? You're going to be back next year? What do you, where do you go from here? Um, I'm pretty sure I'm coming back next year. Good. If I can arrange it anyway with my time. But um, I'm not the kind of person that, that thinks too good of itself, you know, <laughs> of, of himself. Yeah. So um, it's, it's very cool I won, but I realized I had, a, I had an insane run. Mm -hmm. I played like 11 games yesterday and I won them all <laughs> and I played one game for fun and I also won that so that's 12 games in a row that's insane and I realized that uh, I, th I think it's cool coming back to Europe having a trophy and uh, getting a free beer from everyone <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't give that much into it well, I respect that. Congratulations. I really hope that you can make the return trip next year because I hope, I hope so, that yeah. I can see you here at this place next year. And who knows, maybe you'll be the first repeat champion. We haven't had one yet since this tournament was started. So, again, thanks for taking the time, Mark. Congratulations, and enjoy your visit to the U.S. too. Thank you. So this brings us to a conclusion of... Vintage Championship here at Gen Con 2012. What do you guys think for the format going forward? What does this mean? Anything? Brian? Um, I, I see it kind of just business as usual. Like, workshops are going to still be good. Drugs are going to still be good. Um, I think a lot of people smartly will probably play builds similar to the Champions build. I think it's a great deck. It's probably what I would play. So... I don't think it changes much, but I think it, it continues to reinforce the, the archetypes that we already know. I totally agree with what Brian just said. I think don't overthink the room. You know, this, the, the, you know, this, the guy solved the metagame as it was. I think that Lansdow will diminish a little bit 
think Rob Delver. I mean, it's still going to do well. I think Rob yeah. Delver is proved. I, get, I think actually Brian put it best. <laughs> Shops and Dredge are tier one. Mark Zek is tier one. Mm-hmm. And those other two decks are tier 1.5. Yeah. They can win some tournaments, but these are still the big boys. Paul? I agree with all you guys. You know, not a lot of big changes, but I think people are going to, you know, metagame will move back and forth like it has been for a little while, and, you know, we'll look forward to the next printings, see what happens. All right. I think that does it. Thank you guys for joining us. It was a fun event. Sadly, none of us did particularly well, but I'm glad that we have a lot of you here to analyze the results for us. And signing off from Vintage World Championship at Gen Con. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at So Many Insane Plays. And until next time, we wish you many insane plays. <laughs>